Kim Gemmel, you have written two books. You are an inspiring person. You've worked so hard to share important stories, and it is an absolute pleasure to have you on. I'm wondering if you can start with a brief introduction of yourself. Okay, well, I don't know if I can do anything brief. Fair enough. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so my name is Kim Gamble, and I'm a mother and, and a wife and uh, uh, author, as you know. <laughs> and yeah, it's just it's really great to be here. I've I've actually been born. I was born and raised in Chilliwack. I did live in uh, Vancouver for ten years, actually in Burnaby. And uh, then when we moved back, uh, my mom had offered to babysit for us when uh, when my baby was born. So we thought we'd take her up on that offer, and so we moved back to Chilliwack. And that was, um, my daughter's now, uh, on Tuesday, she'll be 26. Wow. Well, I'd like to get right into it and just start with a little bit of the backstory because I've been reading Smile again. And as I mentioned in a Facebook post, it has really been helping just to know that other people face different types of challenges. As many people know, I recently lost my grandmother and she was like my main role model. Yeah. She really helped my mom in... Um, adopting her from Kokolitsa and taking care of her. And she just took me in as well and has just always been that role model, that support, no questions asked mm -hmm. type of person. And so I just recently lost her. And so being able to read a book that is about processing things mm -hmm. and understanding the adversity and understanding it as just a moment in time that we have mm -hmm. to work through and that there's a lot to get out of those moments. There are moments where you get to recognize the people who are supporting you. And I really think you did a great job in bravery of doing that, of recognizing the people who don't realize in hospitals working so hard that they're making an impact that lasts. Mm -hmm. And when people leave, they're still impacted by mm -hmm. the small kind gestures that are made in those circumstances. And I thought you really did a good job of focusing on that and letting other people feel valued. And I think that that's mm. something that we miss out on in social media and in shorter interactions is really getting into and understanding where people are coming from and the difference people make. And that's what this podcast is all about. Yeah. So I'm really grateful to have you on to be able to talk about these things. Can you give us just a little bit of a summary of bravery and then we'll do smile again? Yeah, certainly. Um, and first, uh, I want to say how sorry I am to hear about your grandmother. We share that in common that um, our grandmas were our mentors. Yes. And what, you know, when we lose them, it's just a, a hole in, in our heart. But we take uh, the valuable lessons and, and all that they gave to us and they live on in us because we pick up their traits. Absolutely. So you'll find that even as you age, you'll be like, oh, that's what my grandma would have said or oh, that, you know, and, and it's, so it's wonderful. So they're still really with us. But, uh, I, and I think without my grandma, I don't, I, I don't think I'd have the strength to have endured all I have with what we've, what our family has gone through. Um, she was my role model and my mentor. And, uh, with people like that, it's, if we can be lucky enough to have somebody like that in our life to influence us, to, you know, we don't even realize what strength they give us when we're young. But once they're gone and we are carrying on in life, we see, the impact that they had and we're grateful for them even more than almost when they were alive sometimes. So, yes, absolutely. Um, yes, but so m my grandma was my big, biggest influence along with my mom and dad. I grew up on a, a little horse farm and we had, I had a wonderful childhood. Couldn't, couldn't have been any better. I was really, really blessed. I had a horse when I was five and 
And even though I was too young to ride it by myself, my dad would lead me around the farm on it. It was, yeah, it was pretty neat. That's so, awesome. Uh, yeah. Then post-graduation, uh, I went to UFE and I took, I majored in French and minored in art history and I got an opportunity to go to uh, France, which was wonderful. And then I took some sociology courses as well. Uh, but I just couldn't, couldn't decide what I wanted to be. And I ended up moving to Burnaby and going to BCIT and taking some courses there. And uh, ended up getting a really good promotions job at a, at a health club. It was like a kind of a lifestyle, health, and country fitness club. And that's where I met my uh, very kind and handsome husband, Cam. And uh, that's when we, you know, we started our family and decided to move back to, to Chilliwack and had our daughter, Jessie, in 1998. Um, was amazing, just a blessing. I was, you know, I, I think my friends were more worried about me because I'd never really been around babies. And I was like one of the first to have babies. And, and it just was natural. I just fell in love. Um, I, I still remember having to go back to work because back then maternity was only six months. Yeah. So it was just too quick, but uh had to do it back then, right? And so then uh it was almost oh, three years later when I was uh, expecting our second. And this is kind of when the white picket fence got blown up Yeah, uh, because everything had been going just fabulous. And then uh, uh, I was three and a half weeks uh, due with, with my second baby when um, just excruciating pain sent me into the emergency. And within minutes of lying down on my bed, I thought my water had broke. I was like, felt this gush and I'm like, my water just broke and I remember looking up at Cam and the nurse's face and they just they went white and I looked down and the sheets were just soaked with blood and the nurse just said I'll be right back and then she she came back with the doctor who fortunately there was an OBGYN on on call and they whisked me into the uh, ER for emergency surgery and when I became conscious uh they had told me, the nurse had said, you have delivered a baby boy, but he's very sick. Um, we believe he has a critical heart defect. And the team of specialists from Children's Hospital are coming to pick him up. And so, yeah, they came and, and, and took him away before I even got a chance to hold him. I could kind of see as they, as they wheeled him away, uh, but he was you know, covered in attachments and uh, um, breathing tubes and, and everything that breathing yeah. for him. And that was with the beginning of, of all the, the changes and the, I guess, kind of the purpose that uh, inspired me to uh, become a speaker and an author uh, because we would go through almost five months in Children's Hospital and Avery had four heart surgeries, uh, including cold blue, respiratory arrest, renal failure. Uh, Cam and I were staying in the parking lot of the uh uh, the hospital because they had hookups for RVs for out-of-town parents. So we were staying, and there was many times in the night we would get calls to come in because AV saturations had dropped to like 39, which are supposed to be around 100, and they didn't think he would make it till morning. Yeah. Can I just ask, because Rebecca brought up a good point, we were on a drive reading Smile Again, and one of the thoughts she had, which I think is important to to bring up, is that you've been loving and preparing and excited about having this child and and been had so many months of just looking forward to mm. it, to see that baby rolled away and just barely get a glimpse and wonder in the book you just say it so clearly that you didn't know if you would ever 
actually get to meet mm-hmm. Avery mm-hmm. and that that's where your mindset was at. And I think it's just important to highlight that because I think as like Rebecca saw that, but that didn't click in my head mm. just from my perspective. Right. I wasn't thinking about the nine months prior and that, that prep right. and the excitement right. and that's all went the opposite direction than where your mindset was going. And so mm. it's just important to me to highlight what mm. you were, where your mindset was at, which was, this is an exciting time. Right. And then it goes the complete opposite yes. direction. Yeah. The, the completely opposite of having a baby is supposed to be one of the happiest times in yeah. your life. And to find out that mine may not live. Yeah. Um, devastating. Humans have this unique ability to uh, have coping mechanisms that kick in when they're needed because I thought I was the biggest wimp. I, 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 I was like, I, I don't know how I'm going to be able to deal with this. But somehow you do. And I think that that possibly could be because of the mentors in my life that, that uh, instilled that strength in me that, that allowed me to just cope with it because um, we have a choice in, in life. We can curl up in a ball and wither away or we can you know stand up to it. So it, it is really all upon a choice of, of what we decide to do with it. I just felt lucky that I was, I, I made the right choice to, you know, to, to fight through it and, and, uh, and be okay. So, um, cause it, it, it gets harder because we, you know, Jesse was, was experiencing delays. She was three. And uh, I had done a lot of studying on my own. And back then, people didn't know really a lot about autism because that would have been 23 years ago now. And I would um, go to doctors and they would say, oh, she's social. She's has eye contact. She's not autistic. And But I knew, like, you know, you don't know the ABCs at three years old but not know how to put a string of sentence together. So yeah. anyway, so we're dealing with that and, and with Avery. And then in the middle of it all, uh, my dad uh, at home one day um, died suddenly of a heart attack at home. And Avery was about three and a half weeks old and then it still had to have two more surgeries ahead of him. And so it was like, yeah, this perfect little life. I, I think I would put in the book, it felt like a tornado had lifted me up and hurled me onto another planet. But, yeah, you just, you, you keep putting one foot in front of the other, and, and that's when you draw on the strengths that you had from all the mentors growing up. And that's when I realized, oh, I'm not a wimp. Yeah. And for, through the grace of God, uh, uh, we were able to bring Avery home um, after nearly five months with his heart all patched up. And I remember um, the surgeon saying, Dr. LeBlanc, a wonderful man, he's now retired, but uh, he said, well, Patched up his heart, but can't guarantee what kind of shape he's going to be in. <laughs> I might, I remember thinking, I, I don't care what kind of shape he's in. I, I get to bring him home. Like that was my, I remember making a promise to God saying, you know, if I can bring Avery home, I'll be the happiest mom in the world. And to this day, 23 years later, it's, it's it still holds true. And so people would say to me, like, wow, you know, you've gone through all this adversity. Your, you know, your daughter's autistic and your son, you know, he's, he's had all this adversity with all this heart surgeries and heart problems. And yet you're just always so happy and positive. And I thought, well, it was obvious to me. I got to bring my son home and Jesse and Avery are healthy. Uh, I saw, met a lot of parents that didn't get to bring their babies home. And so I, I, I just saw it from a different perspective and I, I felt really blessed. And that's when I thought, hmm, I have to write a book. I have to write a book to show people how life can be wonderful, even if it doesn't go as we expected or planned. But then I thought, hmm, I can't write a book. I'm not smart enough to write a book. My English professor, if you didn't think I had the writing talent. 
And when we're young, we're very impressionable. We, and we're taught to believe what the professionals say. So I, I, I pushed off the notion to, to write bravery because I didn't think that I I could, I was smart enough, but it wouldn't go away. Kept coming back. And I thought, well, I guess I got to write this book. So that's when I started writing, but I think it took me five years or so to get it finally into the hands of people. It was a process, but uh, uh, fortunately, um, I had journaled in the uh, during the months in the hospital, so I had a lot to draw from when I started writing the book because I chronicled from the, the whole journey that we had. So, and of course, it brought back a lot of memories, and I think that's why... Um, like a lot of people say with bravery, it's so uh, emotional and passionate because I'd be typing away at my computer and, you know, all these, you know, memories would pop up and, and I felt like I was there again. And I'd be like crying and typing and, ah, and, and, uh, uh, but it was cathartic, cathartic actually be, to be able to, I think, to, to do that, to be able to do that and take that experience and turn it into a purpose to help others. Right. That, to me was was pretty cool and now you know in my later years feel that um if we if we can do something like that on earth to give back to others whether it be writing a book volunteering your time uh in the community you know whatever it can be money if you you know donating proceeds of things uh just just giving back in some way is makes sometimes really crummy experiences not so crummy because something good has come from it absolutely and i think that one element that um, it's easy to get caught in the adversity you faced, but you also set like an am- amazing example as a mother and as a person who grew up in downtown Chilliwack. I had a lot of friends who did not have good mothers, who didn't have loving, gentle, understanding, patient parents. Mm-hmm. And so they grew up in a world where that just wasn't the case. And I think a lot of people face that. And so both of your books are also a testament to the ap- approach a strong mother would take. And yes. I think that that really comes through in both books, which is just an abundance of care and love. And Mm -hmm. that's so important for people to hear when I think also in Smile Again, you mentioned the impact social media is having on people that we don't ever get that compassion. I think there's been a few studies that have talked about the connection between like a parent and a child is like five minutes a day Mm -hmm. of like quality, real conversations of understanding each other. Mm -hmm. And so I think we're in a deficit of having real connections where we open up and both of your books go to that point of opening up and having the real conversation. Mm, yes, thank you, and and that is important, uh, you know, thought to, to bring up because um, I did my TED talk about that as well. Uh, the thought of how you know with social media, and, you know, where we are all more connected, but we're actually more disconnected because although we might have a thousand friends on Facebook, we're more lonely than ever, yeah. and we're we're missing those valuable uh, intimate connections with people, with family, like with you know. Uh, Growing up, you know, spending all the time that I did with my grandma uh, without our, our noses buried into our phones or laptops. Yeah. And uh, when we uh, would go to dinner at my my husband's, uh, my mother-in-law's house, she made us put the phones in the basket at the door. Right. And I thought, wow, how great is that? We really need to do more of that so that we can pick up that that those those stories and 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 all that that our elders can give to us right yeah yeah and i just want to get more into the book because you're going through this experience you're working with the doctors to try and get avery avery finally gets home and then from there what happens 
Well, yeah, that was tough because, you know, for, for almost five months, I had the, the doctors and the, the nurses beside me helping me, you know, supporting me. And then to be told finally, okay, he's all fixed. Go home and have a nice life. And you're like, what? Thankfully, uh, we became really good friends, almost best friends with one of Avery's primary nurses. Really? So on her days off, she would come out. Which was great for me because I, I felt like, you know, I had that support and if anything went wrong because I um, had a, a little bit of PTSD after everything that happened. Um, I can't even count how many times I called 911 when Avery would start crying and his face would go red. And I'm like, oh, my God, he's going to have a heart attack. And I'd call 911. So it was a process to, to go through to uh, come to terms with that, you know, he he's he's going to be okay and, and um you know, it takes time, like with with anything. I think it just takes time. But uh, Avery, I think because we coddled him so much, he was quite, I don't know if you'd say spoiled, but he got away with a lot because we were just so happy he lived. Yeah. And I remember saying to his uh, cardiologist, because we would go frequently for checkups at Children's Hospital, and I would say, okay, you know, like, do these kids grow up to be the biggest spoiled brats? Because like he, you know, we just let him get away with it. And he said, no, Kim, actually, they grow up to be very uh, caring, kind hearted, wonderful people. You can't spoil somebody with giving them too much love. And I thought, wow, you know what? That's so true. Um, but yeah, he, we, our house was locked up like Fort Knox. I, I, I kid you not. Like a couple of times he, Escaped. You know, one time we were at, uh, at a hotel in Kelowna, uh, the ground, which is right on the water. And we wake up in the morning and Jesse is not talking yet. And we're like, where's Avery? And she points to the door. And we're like, oh my goodness. We jumped out of bed and, and it's running down the hallways because we're like, well, you know, when, when did he leave? We're right on the water. What happened? You know, like, oh my goodness, we're just panicking. And, Cam frantically is pressing the elevator button, and then the door opens. Well, there's Avery standing there in his diaper, down to his knees, basically. <laughs> so I think Jesse must have kind of tried to alert us that because at that hotel, you know how the, the latch is on the top door, so you can't get out for they didn't have that. Oh, okay. So somehow he unlocked the door and took off. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it was. So um, he he yeah he put us through quite a bit, but. You know, Dr. Human, uh, Avery's cardiologist, was right. Avery is turned into the most uh, well-mannered, kind-hearted, this lovely, lovely soul. And uh, so, yeah, he was he was right. <laughs> wow, that, that is so important because I do think that so many people go through these tough times and face challenges, but there's no platform that really wants to hear somebody's story and if you're just going through save on foods and they're like how's your day going there isn't that opportunity to share what i think is an important story for our community and i think too often we rely on big media corporations to tell the important stories for us and that limits how many stories get told right. and it removes the idea that someone within our own community could have their story told and i think that this really shines a light on that we have role models right here people who have faced insurmountable challenges, times where they didn't think they were going to be able to get through it, but found a way through. And that idea that someone can do that is a shining light for youth in our community who are struggling with drug addiction, feeling like both their parents don't love them, mm -hmm. knowing that there are people out there 
who write books telling their story, what they faced, and how they came through it, and how family got them through that, is the story to me, and something that we don't hear enough of, because it's all becoming more and more about whatever the current news is, and we're disconnecting ourselves from the idea that there are real, important conversations to have that aren't about politics or current events or mm-hmm. stuff like that. It's about who the person is behind the scenes and what they're facing, and just losing my grandmother and seeing your story of like when you're in the grocery store people don't know what you're facing Mm -hmm. they don't know the load you're carrying when you're just running out to grab something and you're just trying to keep it together when you have to go pick up that one thing people don't realize that you are doing your very best Mm -hmm. and we forget and when we treat people in the stores we just treat them like they're just normal people who Mm -hmm. could be facing things that we can't understand Mm -hmm. and that's where i think that being more compassionate and understanding is so important and just being humble enough to know, Hey, I don't know what these people are going through and I should just be compassionate and understanding Mm -hmm. until I have other information. And I think that came through in smile again. Wow. Well, that's great to hear. Thanks, Aaron. Well, and, and thank you for doing this podcast series that you do bigger than me because it is something that we need. And I, you know, when I first watched your first one, I just came across, across it randomly and I, thought well I'll check this out and and uh I always like to know more about people who are doing local things in in our community and I was really impressed I thought this is yeah we need more stuff like this yeah. and you being so young uh, but yet so smart and intelligent to to realize that that gap in the community that we that you you want to help fill yeah. is uh really quite remarkable so i can see how yeah yeah your grandma must have been just super fantastic to uh be able to instill a lot of those values in you to want to be able to do like that to do something like this especially at such a young age yeah well i definitely experienced it because before i started this it was a few years earlier and i was talking to rebecca like i don't feel like there's anyone i can go to to have have meaningful conversations mm-hmm. with like I'm not I don't know everything I'm not crazy intelligent about one thing but I want to be able to talk to people who know more who can teach me things and within my circle it just didn't feel like there was somebody who knew more than me in the topic that I wanted to discuss and so that made me feel like okay I respect all the people within my community but I don't have a role model I don't have somebody to say that is a person I want to be like that yeah. is a person I'd like to emulate right. some of the stuff they're doing here locally right. there's lots of people like celebrities and stuff that you can look to but here locally right. and actually work with them and learn from them because I was always a person I want to learn from you like show me how to build something and I'll build it and right. I'll follow after but I didn't have those role models to say hey this is the tools you need and this is Set how you do up. it right. and so it was all like all the podcast was through YouTube videos and learning through that right. and it it just came a point in time where I was like reading news articles and being like, this is not real. This is being played up a little bit to, to cause drama instead of having conversations. And there isn't a good platform where we can hear from people fully and go through not just their work, but their personal experiences, the adversity they face. We don't have that. And so that's what this all came about. And it's, I'm grateful to have it because these stories need to be told. And as I mentioned in my post, it's about telling the stories that you don't get to hear unless you go searching for them. And that to me is your story. And we're so lucky that you chose to share it because you could have said, nobody wants to hear this. Like I'm just one person and that's the wrong mindset. So can you tell me what that process was like to decide to write bravery? 
in a time where most people do just go like, uh, I told so many people that they could write a book on a topic that they're interested in, that they are passionate and tell me about. And they're like, no, I couldn't. Like, who cares? And it's like, you care. And that's what matters. Right. And so can you tell me a little bit about that? You know, again, I think it goes back to uh, the, the mentors and the, our, our, you know, the, our influencers growing up because I just, I felt that, you know, my grandma was a, was a giver and, and my whole family, they were, were, were givers. And I just felt that, you know, it's important if we have something that we think we can give or help somebody else, then we, you know, we should take advantage of it and we should do it. And we should throw caution to the wind because, yeah, I, I did at first think, oh, I'm not smart enough to write a book and who's going to want to read my book. And, um, but it's bigger than that. <laughs> so, you know, you just got to say, well, if, you know, let's see what happens. What's the worst that could happen, right? And, and so many people don't take that leap of faith. They let fear hold them back. And, you know, fear almost held me back. But I said, no, you know, no. So that is what I, you know, really want to emphasize to people who want to do certain things but feel they can't, for whatever reason it may be, it's fear or, or insecurity or, or what have you, but it holds us back from doing so much. One of my favorite things that I, that I was able to do was uh, speak at schools because I wanted to tell them that, hey, you know, don't listen to the naysayers. I almost didn't write my book because of what a prof professor thought of me and and uh he's since passed so he's not here anymore so i i don't feel bad that you know that that you know i don't dislike him for that it was just that was you know how you know, people were more abrupt back then but so i love to tell these these children and these the teenagers to follow through on what they want to do if they have a passion for something if they feel they can do something to better the world or better themselves don't let fear or insecurities hold you back. Give it a try. What's the worst thing that could happen? And it was so rewarding. And I think, again, that's why we, we you know, I found, I found it very rewarding to hear people's thoughts on, on, on um, how I've affected them. And, yeah. and to hear students say, wow, you know, I, I am going to write that book or I'm going to take those uh, classes, Spanish classes that I didn't think I could. You know, like I've had all kinds of people come to me. So that's uh it's pretty neat if you can pay it forward kind of like thing and, and, and give back then i don't think there's a better reward in life than than of, of public service i agree and i think that for when i was starting the podcast there was just this feeling that there's going to be somebody who shows up who says no you can't do that and i don't know if you felt that when you were starting to write the book of like somebody just saying no 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 you have to have these credentials right. but that's our mindset when we go into things and in one of the sections you talk about how to approach things differently um it's on page 60 and it's eight simple ideas for getting started and one of them is finding positive people and i like that because we can surround ourselves with naysayers who say you shouldn't do that no just stick to your job and i know that rebecca has faced that within her world of people just saying oh you you want to do that well you probably want to get these things done first and then maybe eventually and it's like you need to just know what where you're going mm -hmm. and i think that that is the transition from becoming like a, a young person to an adult is the realization that nobody knows your path better than you and it's it's a tough thing to accept right. because we like to defer to our parents or to whoever it is to say oh what should I be doing and that's the comfort zone of being like other people know what I should be doing better than I do mm -hmm. and that's just 
that at a certain point you realize that's not the case. What you want to do is what you have to do mm -hmm. to make your life meaningful. And I think that you've done that and you took that risk. So from, from this experience of writing this book, what was some of the responses you got and what was it like to try and find a publisher? Mm, very daunting. Uh, I was excited to finally get it out there. Cause like I said, it took, I think at least five years for me writing it. Um, and being a, a new and unknown author, like not a famous person, you know, who can gamble. Yeah, no one wanted to um, pick me up. Um, I couldn't find a literary agent to represent me. I couldn't find a publisher who would want to publish. And I tried. I tried. I know what rejection is like because I probably sent at least 300 query letters to publishers. And more than that, all getting back, oh, good luck, but, you know, it's not right for us. It's not right for us. And... So, you know, you, you hit a roadblock, you know, you finally, you know, write this book and get it done and then boom, another roadblock hits because, you know, how, because I didn't know anything about writing a book. How do you publish a book? You know, so, but then again, if there's that will, you know, you just got to follow that will. You got to follow that instinct that tells you to do it. We, we really need to rely on our instincts more than we ever know. So I said, okay, well, option B, self-publishing. So that means I've got to do it myself and I've got to put everything together and I have to pay for it myself too. So I just did my research and found a, a self-publishing company in uh, Victoria who uh, took it on and, 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 you know, together we worked on everything from the, the title to the cover, to the content, to you know getting it out there to the public. Um, and it did well you know, for, for being um, a first time author that no one knew of uh it did, it did really, you know, pretty, pretty good. But what was even, even if it, you know, just didn't reach, didn't become a bestseller, I was fine with that because that wasn't the purpose of, of writing the book. I did want to share proceeds with Children's Hospital because that was a hospital who saved my baby's life. So to give back some of the proceeds was really important, but also the message that, that life can still be wonderful, even if it doesn't go as we expected or planned. That was what was most rewarding when I would hear people's thoughts on that. People who have had great adversity and, and said that my book helped them believe that they could get through it too. That was more rewarding than, than anything. Even if it, if it reached, you know, just a few people, it was just exciting to feel that, 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 the positive impact of the purpose of me writing it was was met. It yeah. was pretty cool. Well, and I really like how you wrote it because it feels like a conversation. It feels like you're telling the story in a in a first world way where like I can relate to it. It's not distracting with complex words. It's not distract. It's not right. like you were trying to put on a hat of being somebody right. else who is a professional author who's done this before. Right. It felt real and like <laughs> like yeah. it's right right where everything was going on, you retell these stories yeah. and share what your mindset was. Yeah. And I think that that's really personable, but many people can put on the hat of like, I'm going to go do this thing. So I'm going to go become this other person. Right. And I think it's cool because you, you brought with you what, what you wanted to tell. Mm -hmm. And I think if you had found certain publishers, maybe they would have said, actually, we want you to write it this way in a less personable way. And then right. we might have missed out on some of that. Yeah, good point. I, actually, you're right. Because I know from other authors that uh, I've, I've chatted with that they're like, wow, my book, 
that I wrote, I don't know, it's so different than what is on the shelves because they edited it and edited it and edited it and changed so much of it. So um, that is a good point that perhaps, you know, everything happens for a reason. Yeah. And and I don't believe there is coincidences, and which was kind of neat how, you know, Smile Again and, and, and came across, across your path kind of at a time when you needed that. Yeah. And uh, so it's 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 wonderful to be able to think that um, it's reached people on that level and been able to have some kind of solace for them. Absolutely. So let's carry on. So Avery's home, things yeah. are going well. What what happens from there? Um, well, we, you know, kind of get settled. It takes a while. And, and Jesse did receive, you know, her autism diagnosis. And, and that was, it was challenging because Avery also, uh, um, was diagnosed with a mild cerebral palsy because when he had one of his cold blues, uh, lack of oxygen to the brain, uh, they didn't know if what kind of effects that was going to have on him when he was older. And fortunately, uh, it didn't have a lot of effect. He had uh, stiffness on his right side. So his gait was awkward and uh, he became left-handed because his right hand was too stiff. Uh, but other than that, you know, he was really healthy. So, but we, we had to go through a lot of phys physical therapy and, uh, Jesse had to have a lot of behavioral therapy. So my, my job was basically, uh, a mom that had to, you know, take the kids to all these different various appointments and, and, uh, but it was, it was okay because they were, they were doing well. They were happy. And, and Je with Jesse's autism, she's in the, I would say the moderate, uh, spectrum. So, uh, I, I feel blessed because she's very, uh, much a rule follower and she's very independent and she can do a lot of, of things for herself. So, uh, but yeah, it was, it was a lot of appointments and all going back and forth and, and, uh, uh, but at the same time, I think, you know, that, that promise that I had to, uh, you know, feel so grateful that we were able to bring Avery home changed me because I, I always just had uh, a lot of gratitude I carried with me every day. Yeah. Yeah. That's so important because you had been through so much during those times where it probably didn't feel like there was going to be an end. And to come out of it and to have two loved children is all that you wanted as a parent. So, and there was meltdowns, you know, yeah. I, I have to be you know, honest, like there was days of, of struggle. There was days when I'm like, oh my goodness, this is too hard to do. And, uh, but they didn't last long. Yeah. And I think that it's okay to vent. Like if we're having a bad day, we're human, there's going to be bad days. And don't beat yourself up on it. It's like so many people uh, carry that with them. They, they, they're too hard on themselves. And I, I thankfully have that um, notion to you know, let it out and, 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 but be okay with it. You know, we are human. It's going to happen. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to have bad days. It's part of life. That's awesome. Can you tell me about what your dynamic was like with Cam, your husband, and what, what going through all of that was like as a team? Because obviously it affected both of you. Yeah, you know, a lot of people say, wow, I don't know how you guys made it through because um, a high percentage of, of divorce and separations for people with special needs children. And uh, with all that we had went through with Avery and Jesse, you know, we, we, we had our share. And, and uh, I, yeah, it, it was, like you said, teamwork. It was it's, you know, when I was feeling kind of weaker, Cam was there and it was strong and, and, and vice versa. So it was uh, just really supporting each other and uh, just not being too critical on, on, on each other, not being too hard on each other. I mean, yeah, there was challenging times and there's no doubt as any marriage, but, you know, we were fortunate to, to work 
work through it. One of my favorite uh, sayings in the whole world, is one of my favorite stories is um, Barbara Walters, who's a famous interviewer, which I talked to the, the other day, because I think you're kind of like her a little bit, the way you draw things out of people. But she was, I think it was her that was interviewing Paul Newman's uh, wife. Um, oh, her name escapes me right now. But they, they were married for like 50 plus years. And she said, so how... How have you been able to stay married to Paul Newman, the Hollywood heartthrob, be together for 50 years? Like most Hollywood marriages barely make it a year. What is your secret? And she's like, well, I don't, Joanne, Joanne Woodward, that's her name. Uh, she said, well, I, I don't think there's really any secret. We were just lucky. We never fell out of love at the same time. And I, I know that just kind of resonated with me. And, and it's, it was like, yeah, like, I mean, there's, Days when I'm sure, you know, Cam thinks, I don't even like you, you know, or, and, and vice versa. We have those, but we never at the same time, you know. So I think that that was kind of brilliant because we've been together now, uh, over 30 years. So that comes with some ups and downs. And, and that's, I think, what people need to realize too is to, um, you know, work through things and, and try to balance each other out and be there for when the one is not as strong because we're going to have those days. Can I just ask then, do you, when you're having a tough day, do you view that as just something intrinsic to you that you are responsible for sorting out? Or because that does sound like there is that give and take, but it also requires the person to be able to look intrinsically within where they're at in yeah. their day. And I find that a lot of my peers can have trouble doing that. It's always about whose fault is it yeah. other than my own? And who? how can I make you the reason that I'm unhappy? Yeah. And so we put that onto other people. And that's why relationships don't do well is because one side will be like, well, it's their fault. They're not doing these three things. So that's why I'm unhappy. Yeah. When you point a finger at someone, you have three pointing back at you. That's something I learned really early on. Uh, so it's, it's, there's two sides to a story. Um, I think a big part of, of that is realizing that, you know, we aren't perfect and, and be saying, sorry, I was wrong is, I think takes a bigger person than to not admit it or to point a finger. Yeah. Uh, and so, and, and letting go, letting go, like we're, you know, we're not always perfect. You know, we're not always going to be, um, nice you know we're, we're gonna have kind of days where we're angry we're mad and we maybe say things that we don't mean but uh we have to realize that that it's just from the moment and we have to let it go yeah i definitely agree with you and that's one thing i've run into a surprising amount with the podcast is just guests being like I don't know if I'm a role model. I don't know if I fit your criteria or the second they come on, they'll be like, well, I'm not perfect. Like, let's just be clear. I'm not a perfect person. And it's like, I never thought you were. I just, <laughs> I just think you're setting an example and it might be more through your career or it might be more through your personality or your approach, but there's something about you that I think people can pull out. And that's why I want to have X person on is because they're doing something in the community that's making a difference. Mm -hmm. And too often, I think we get reactionary where if someone says you're doing something good, people's reactions are, I'm just not perfect though, so don't hold me accountable right. for how well I'm doing right now. And I think that that's, that's probably the wrong mindset because there is an ebb and flow. I know I'm not perfect. I know that I'm not always doing the right approach or I could have phrased things better. I make lots of mistakes every day. But the podcast isn't just about the mistakes. It's about what are you doing as a whole that is making a difference how are you approaching things and that's what i'm looking for in this mm -hmm. but i do get that reaction a lot of people saying 
oh, this platform is probably not for me. I'm just, I'm not a role model. And it's like, well, by your own definition, most people aren't role model. I don't consider myself, I don't walk around and go, hi, I'm Aaron, the role model. Right. I don't view myself as that. Right. But it is something that others bestow upon you as someone to emulate. And I think that recognizing that you can do great things is a good thing. And we all make mistakes. And that doesn't yeah. need, we don't need to add those words in of like, I'm not perfect. Right. Because that's just a given. We're, we're humans. Right. And just like you said. Yeah. And so I do think that we get too connected to having too much praise. And then we start to push it back too soon and that's just one thing i've noticed with a lot of podcast guests is being like no i'm not that person don't confuse me with a good person who's making a good impact and it's like why are you so afraid like i know yeah. you're a person i'm sure yeah. you make lots of mistakes i'm sure you yeah. like get mad at people when you're driving down the yeah. road but that's yeah. separate from the good things you're doing right right and so i think that this is a really highlights the importance of recognizing the good because you recognized the hospital staff you were working with and you recognize the people who are making the difference to help you through these tough times and you didn't the book isn't just about you and your triumph it's about a community's triumph mm -hmm. and I think that that's what resonates mm -hmm. the most is because it's not just one person it's not how I conquered these problems right. it's how I worked with a community and we got through it all together and the fact that you have connections with the healthcare workers just goes to that so can you tell yeah. me a little bit more about that yeah, you know that that's so true because without those support workers, we we couldn't do it. I couldn't do it alone. If I didn't have all the support that I did from the um, Chilliwack Society for Community Living, for the Chilliwack Developmental Center, um, all these places that supported me for with the therapies that the ch children needed, uh, it would have been overbearing for me to to deal with that. So um, to People out there, you know, utilize the resources that they need because a lot of times people think they don't need it, you know, but, uh, you know, that, that's, that's not true. We all need support at certain times of our life, no matter whether we have children who are special needs or we're going through any of our own health problems. We all, we all need support. So to be able to reach out. And that's why, you know, things like your, your podcast are great because it highlights what is out there because a lot of people don't know what is available out there. So to be able to shed some light that we have a lot of resources in our community to help us get through these challenging times and to to, to reach out and, and get that support. Absolutely. And just the way that you approached it in the book was just so well written because you talked about how like, as a mother, you wanted to do anything and everything to make the difference. But I think you said like, I'm not a scientist, or I'm not like a yeah. doctor. So I have to rely on other people. What was that like to have everything in somebody else's hands, and just hope they were making all the right calls? Because I think somewhere in there, you talked yeah. about how the uh, the doctor that was going to be operating had just had like a giant cup of coffee. And yeah. this person's about to start moving around with your, your child's heart. Yeah. And so what was that experience like? Yeah, you have to let go of, of, of what you can't change or what you can't do. Um, that, and that's really important because I, I try to always not focus on things I can't, uh, I, I don't have any control over. Um, but it's hard. It's not easy because yeah, the morning of, of surgery when, you know, the, Dr. LeBlanc had to operate on Avery's tiny little heart the size of a walnut where the, they had to cut and switch the great arteries, which was the size of a pin and any kinking would mean a heart attack. It, it, that's like, you know, oh my God, can you imagine the pressure on the doctor or yeah. the surgeon and he comes walking in early in the morning and he's you know got this big cup of coffee and his big hands around the cup of coffee and I'm just looking at him going and I remember I think I said to Cam I hope that's decaf 
<laughs> because, you know, what else could he do? Yeah, I didn't have uh, any control over it. I had to let it go. Um, but that's okay because, you know, we have our parts and we have to understand that, you know, we do what we can. But I did uh, have uh, a great um, little story of when Avery was in ICU and, and, uh, on life support and in renal failure. And it was a really critical time because if you go, uh, a, a certain amount of time without, um, urinating or having a bowel movement, um, you're going to die. You're going to poison yourself. So it had been uh, almost a few days since Avery had, had done anything. And, um, there were what, you know, the doctors would come. You know, and around the bedside, they're, they're do the rounds, right? And this one particular time, I'm rubbing uh, the bottom of Avery's feet because I remembered thinking reflexology because I knew a little bit about reflexology. And so I remembered thinking, well, I wonder where the kidneys are. So if I can stimulate Avery's kidneys to pee. So I go running upstairs to the library and I go on the computer, which was quite archaic back then, and I type up uh, reflexology in the human body and, and kidneys. Where are kidneys located? And I found where the kidneys were located on the bottom of the feet. I ran downstairs and I started massaging his kidneys and the doctors came by on their rounds and they're like, what are you doing? And I said, I'm stimulating Avery's kidneys so he'll pee. <laughs> and they're like, okay. And um, the next day or that night he did. Now, whether it was dialysis, was it me? Was it, you know, I don't know. I like to think maybe I had a little part in that. Yeah, well, and it gives you that sense of purpose and it allows you to be involved in the process, whatever that looks like. And I think that that's that energy that we provide other people that is love. And like there are a lot of studies that show children who are in these serious circumstances, hearing their mother's voice makes the impact and mm -hmm. plays a role. And I think too often we lean towards science to disprove those things yeah. where it's not necessary. Like there's no... Science isn't about just disproving the human experience. Right. And there are aspects of how we live our life that cannot fit within a scientific lens mm -hmm. that is silly to try and apply in a scientific circumstance where feeling loved is not really scientific. It's not something that we go and research how loved we feel <laughs> via some chart. Right. But knowing that your mother is there trying to do whatever she can right. makes a difference right. to a human. Yeah. And I think that that's so important that we not put too much weight on science in certain circumstances where there doesn't need to be some sort of competition right. between what's scientifically factual that somebody would read from a book and mm -hmm. what the experience of is a mother and son having that experience there's no need to to have them overlap right they can, i loved that in the book so yeah, yeah you can combine the two right i i think that you you know we keep an open mind and, and and whatever we feel works it's worth giving a try and uh, i don't put my you know thoughts into one way or the other but it's it's a combination of everything i think that provides um love and healing and support yeah and i think that science does a good job of telling us what the material world looks like but it doesn't tell us how to act right. and that's where these books are important is because they are, although you don't say it, it is a guide on how to 
tackle adversity and how to go through it with humility and understanding and how to treat everyone right, which is what I wanted. I created a definition of what a role model was, and it's about somebody who's willing to put their family first, their friends first, their community first before themselves. But it's not only that, it's about doing that in a sustainable way where you can make that work over a year, over five years, over the your whole life. Mm-hmm. And that's a very tricky balance to find because we do fall down, we do make mistakes, right. we do go down bad paths at certain points. But this book to me is a guide on if you're in a dark place, the, the first few pages are that insight into somebody else's dark place Mm -hmm. and how you were coping with something that is insurmountable to me still and incomprehensible to go through. And so I do think that the information within this book transfers over to youth struggling with drug addiction, youth feeling like there's nobody out there who cares, people who have felt alone and disconnected during the pandemic. I do think that it's the same the contents are how to behave under trying times. And that's what you wrote about. Right, right. Yeah, Yeah. thank you. Um, That's great. I'm so happy that you were able to take the time to read the book, to be able to talk about it at at your podcast, because it is uh, kind of relevant to the times that we're going through. I had wanted to write Smile Again for um, a long time now. But, you know, you're busy, kids and life and work, and and, and, uh, I never had a chance. And I knew the name. I knew it was going to be called Smile Again, and I knew the premise of it. And then COVID hit, and I wasn't working. No, we weren't going anywhere. We weren't doing anything. And it just occurred to me, this this is when Smile Again is supposed to be made. This is when we're going to need it more than ever now. So as I said earlier, there's no such thing as coincidences. Things just happen for a reason. And so it was the timing that was, was perfect because I thought now I can share my philosophies and my stories of how I uh, got through adversity. And not only me, me, but my mentors, people who I looked up to that gave me the courage and strength to um, follow through and to, to keep going. So that's what's kind of neat about Smile Again is it's it's – a lot of different stories. Somebody asked me, you know, if you could sum up what Smile Again is about in, in, in a sentence, what you would say. And I'm like, oh, that's hard for me because I can talk and I ramble. I'm turning into my mother. And uh, sorry, mom. <laughs> but I, yeah, I thought, well, you know what? It, it's it's kind of like chicken soup for the soul with a twist of turn your wounds into wisdom. Yeah. I thought that kind of captures what it's about in a nutshell. I agree. And I think that the approach is so important because we are seeing record numbers of people with depression, the suicide rates have increased. And so there are real things that are going on. And I think it, it touches on that and it addresses this feeling of disconnect within our communities because now we're being recommended to use social media as a primary platform of connecting with people when we all know that that doesn't seem to be working and not seem to be a viable solution. Mm -hmm. And so understanding that we all have dark times and feeling less alone in those circumstances, I I think important. What was the process like to write this and how long did it take? Well, you know, it's quite something because as I mentioned, it took me over five years to write Bravery. Well, it took me 10 months to write Smile Again. And it just was all bottled up inside and it just flowed like every morning I'd get up get my coffee um get the 
Jesse ready for the day was because she was at home too because her program that she goes to was closed as well. So, um, and Avery was home as well doing UFE online. So, you know, we would get everything settled and then I'd sit at the computer and sometimes it would, wouldn't be until one o'clock in the afternoon that I would stop and just, yeah, it just was, I could have stayed there and wrote all day, which was completely different from how bravery was done. So I, um, did it very, very quickly because it was all in there. And I, I pulled some uh, of the resources from my blogs because I've blogged over the years. So I kind of went, took some of my blogs and because you know, when the inspiration hits you, you feel like, okay, I, I've got to, I've got to tell this. I've got to share this. And so that was really resourceful for me was to pull back, pull from some of my blogs, uh, certain experiences that I've gone through that helped me and to put that down in the, in the chapters. So it, it uh, just flowed really smoothly, which was quite different from, from how it worked with bravery, but I was very grateful. And it was also really exciting because I thought, okay, now I'm finished the book. We're back to the process of querying literary agents and publishers. I'm like, Oh, great. I remember how much fun I had doing that last time, but I was lucky this time because I, Perhaps because I had written a book and, and, and all these years later and I did a TED talk and uh, was a TED coach and judge, you know, I thought maybe I had a bit more credits under my belt that people would think, okay, maybe we'll, people will want to read her book this time. Yeah. I wasn't really sure, but, uh, or, or was it maybe just because this is what the world needed right now was it was a book about smiling again. But for whatever reason, I was very blessed because a, a publisher from uh, Ohio picked me up. And so they, they don't do a lot of the marketing. They do, uh, they, but they did all put the book together. I, uh, my, my artist friend painted the cover. It was really important. I wanted to signify, uh, beauty coming through the cracks. Yeah. Uh, so I thought that was kind of a poignant title. So I would send them all the, you know, the, the copies and, and everything. And together we worked on, on getting it put together. And then, so they did it all, all for me. So it wasn't like the first time where I had to do it all myself. So that was a blessing because I, I didn't really like doing that part. That's not really what my strengths are. <laughs> and that's, I think, another thing about human qualities is, is to realize that we all have our strengths. We're not good at everything. And that's okay yeah. that we're not good at everything. So this time I was pretty lucky to have them support me with that. And um, uh, my marketing team that I've had for years, uh, uh, Van Speck Marketing, they're local. They work out for Chilliwack and Abbotsford. Great great team that have uh, really helped me get the word out there about Smile Again. Wow. So that's, you know, you, you, you need that support because uh, that's where social media does come in handy. So that's what I talked about in my TED Talk was a balance. We need a balance. That's what it's all about. We have these lovely resources, but we tend to overdo them. But if we just, just sit back and, and use what we can and, and find that balance, then we'll be much further ahead of the game. I completely agree. And Rebecca and I, obviously, we drastically changed how we looked at our social media. I almost never post as myself anymore, unless it's something relevant and important. Right. But like, I changed how I look at posting on Instagram. Like I, I used to post like a photo of like, landscape and be like, huh, like, yeah, some yeah. weird caption. Yeah. And it just felt like I was obligated to because everybody else posts on Instagram every day. Right. And so you're just part of this ecosystem that yeah. posts and you look at the likes and you go, huh, I didn't or like seven likes or right. 12 likes. And then you're, you're worried about that. Yeah. But once I started the podcast, it's like, I don't care about how my post yeah. does uh, personally. I care yeah. about how these posts do and yeah. what are people looking for? What posts do they appreciate? What's, what's hitting the, 
the deep part of the conversation, what is meaningful to people that's going to get them listening and paying attention. And so I looked at it as more of a way of getting the word out on something rather than, I don't know why I'm using, like, now I don't know why I was using Instagram five years ago, because what was I trying to tell people? Like, what was the purpose? What was, the, yeah. <laughs> there was no purpose behind it. It was just fitting in and everybody else uses Instagram. They use Facebook. I have to use Facebook too because people are going to say, oh, did you see my post the other day? And you're going to be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Right. And so it was all about that. And once you switch your thinking to, I want to get the word out on what I'm yeah. doing. I want to get the word out on this person. Then it changes your relationship because I've had people on and I'm like, they don't have a big social media. So I need to do the pushing. Right. And how do I do that? in a respectful way? How do I try and get the word out on different platforms? And so it's changed how I look at social media as more of a tool to reach people rather than a place to try and fit in and post photos that everybody else is posting photos of and stuff. Interesting. And so it's, it's been interesting to have that balance come over Rebecca and I, where both of us just used to try and fit in and now we see it as a tool to reach people. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's, it's nice to be able to, um, post some uplifting things like cute pictures of your, of, you know, your dog doing something funny. That's, that's, that's cute too, but you know, it can be overkill. Like some people like over, overdo it. Um, but that's kind of fun too, uh, just to do light posts that are, are funny or cute or uplifting or enlightening, but uh, not to really be obsessed with having to do it and how many likes you get and sure it's a natural human response to feel good when people are um, giving you praise about your posts or saying good things about you know that that meal looks delicious or you're such a good cook or things like that it 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 feels good but it shouldn't really define us yeah and it can become an addiction where you're looking for that approval because maybe you're not getting it in your work maybe you're not getting it in your home life and that's where people will go there and not strike the balance because they're going there as an escape to try and get feedback that they want to hear and instead of having the conversations and so one question that I did have is how did you approach conversations during these dark times because I find that people approach things the absolute worst when they're in the absolute worst situation but it doesn't sound like any of that was approached that way yet it seems to be a tendency when people I meet that are angry or frustrated they do not respond at all well kindly but you seem to have had that approach at least for the most part so can you tell me any times that that didn't go well or or what your process was to try and get through this mm, do you mean like for certain experiences or or, or what like yeah like, how, like, how did you like keep some chapters particularly or exactly what was it like to be in such a dark place and have to go to the store and have people maybe be rude and you're just like okay i can't have that right, right now. Like I have enough going yeah. on without you adding on. Yeah, yeah. What was that like? Well, you, you know, meditating in walks really. You you become grounded, and you don't let that interference get in your way, because there's there's going to be negative people, and there's going to be naysayers out there. And yeah, when you're in a dark place, you typically want to hunker down, and, and uh, but. For, for me, I guess with my experiences, just knowing that, you know, we can come through these challenging times, uh, helps you to get through it. But in each, each endeavor, each, each challenging experience a person struggles, when they get through it, they become that much stronger. Because if we had this perfect white picket fence princess life, we wouldn't know the beauty 
Like just the other day, we so we've had, as you know, a lot of rain. It's been windy, it's been rainy, and I have to walk my chubby little dog every day. And I need some exercise because my gym is closed. So rain or shine, I got to get out there and walk. And I go through the trails um, by Little Mountain there and then through, through the graveyard and, and so forth. And it's been not fun. And, and my dog hides under the bed. He doesn't want to come out. I have to ring the doorbell to get him to run out. But now he's onto it. So now he knows it's me ringing the doorbell. So now he, I have to disguise my voice as if I'm a guest entering the house. But anyways, like, see squirrel side path. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so anyways, it's been just crummy weather and we've not like to been enjoying our walks and so then the sun came out the other day I think it was Tuesday and I just went on my walk and it was like wow this is beautiful the sun in my face uh, the just everything's glistening and so clean the rain has washed it all away and I thought yeah, that's what it's about. It's about, you know, when we find those silver linings, when we, you know, this too shall pass. You know, the sun is going to come up one day and, and, and it's going to be a nice walk. So it's just knowing that. It's just having those experiences. But had you not had the storm and the rain, you wouldn't appreciate those beautiful sunny days. So I think that that's what helps me a lot, but also helps me understand people going through a darker time. That uh, And that's probably why I felt compelled to, write the books was to show them how it can be done. We can, you know, find those silver linings. They are there, you know, so just to point that out and, and show examples. Because when we lead by example, it's so much easier because then we see that, oh, okay, well, if they can do it, I can do it, you know, and, and that's just, yeah, part of probably the process of, of my inspiration to, to, to write small again. Awesome. Because one story that I'd like you to share, because I think it illustrates the, the point I'm about to make, which is I think that you have a philosophy when it comes to coincidences that you don't accept them as coincidences. And I think that that's an important element of your philosophy within this book, because you can easily look at things as a coincidence and you can say uh, things just happen and, and it doesn't matter. Yeah. But the way you've approached this, this podcast so far and your book was that nothing is a coincidence. Mm -hmm. And I think the element there is that if it's sunny, you take it as an opportunity to utilize. And that's a really important element that I think a lot of people miss out on because you did that with the Wally story as well. Mm. You didn't view when you saw Wally as just a coincidence. You took advantage of it. You had the conversation. You connected. You invited him over. And you you connected. Mm. You didn't take it as just a, oh, we're just here at the same time. Mm. Whatever. Have a good day. Yeah. And so that element, I think that when tough times happen or when things occur, take it as an opportunity. And I think that that's where saying that it's not a coincidence is taking it as an opportunity rather than just viewing it as the world is a random place and whatever happens is just the way it is. Taking it as, hey, this person's in front of me. I have this opportunity. So can you share yeah. the Wally story for people who haven't read the book yet? Sure. But before that, I just have to say, how old are you? 25. You're so smart for 25. Oh my goodness. There's like, yeah, it's amazing to me how you've, you've, pull all that from the conversations and from the book. It's, it's a really it's, good book. It's fascinating. I'm, I'm, I'm just so impressed at your, your wisdom for such a young age. But, um, yeah, I, I don't believe in coincidences. Like, for example, I, um, I find four-leaf clovers all the time. That's the picture of bravery is a four-leaf clover. And it's not a coincidence. It's, it's, 
it can't be. You can't find that many four-leaf clovers in a month, like 20, you know, almost every day on your walk. You know, you, that can't be coincidence. So that's uh, a comfort to me knowing that, like, for example, with the four-leaf clovers, what the, the, the poignancy of that is when I was young, I would find four-leaf clovers all the time on my grandma's farm. And my grandma would say, how do you find them? Like, I'd be riding on my horse and get off and see a four-leaf clover. And, and, and I said, well, I don't, I don't know. And she'd be like, I never found one. So when I was going through the harrowing time after Bravery was born, I'm inside the hospital most of the time. I'm not outside. But every time I go outside or sit down, I look down and there's a four-leaf clover. Well, how can that be a coincidence? And I'm not looking for them. And so I'm, I'm so glad I see life that way. And I want other people to see life that way too because... It, it isn't a coincidence. And when people say, oh, that's just a coincidence, I'm like, no, it's not. It signifies much more. And it's wonderful when you, because you draw strength from that kind of thing. And, uh, so yeah, the, the, the Wally story was, was wonderful because he was one of my dad's best friends. And we, we have experiences in life where we, uh, a situation happens and we're angry at somebody or some person and, uh, we let it ruin our day. And it's like, oh my goodness, I'm letting that person ruin my day, bring that negativity in. Maybe it was somebody you know, a relationship with, or just some rude person at the store, you know, or, or, or what have you. But I always have tried to say, you know, I'm not going to let that person ruin my day or I'm not going to listen to what they say. So on my bike ride, I was, you know, kind of going through, you know, I, I wasn't having great as a time. I was, you know, not feeling wonderful. I was like carrying negativity a little bit. And so, and then I ran into Wally and I hadn't seen him for years and he was my dad's best friend. And, oh, I, you know, think of my dad every day and miss him dearly. And, and uh, how, we just, you know, how things happen, we lose touch with people. And so, Wally was in the passenger seat and, and there was no one in the driver's seat and he was parked on the side of the graveyard. And I, I knew it was him right away and he knew it was me right away. And so I got off my bike and gave him a big hug, of course, pre-COVID, of course. And it was so good to see each other. And, and, uh, you could tell he was, he was not long for this earth. He was on an oxygen tank and his skin was gray and, and, uh, but it was lovely to see him. And I'm like, what are you doing here, Wally? And he said, oh, my grandson is taking flowers up to Rena's grave, which is his, his wife, Rita. Uh, and, uh, I thought, oh, isn't that wonderful? You know, that he's still after all these years, cause she passed away, I think, uh, 20, over, 25 or more years and he was still coming and putting flowers on her grave and uh but he said i'm too i'm too old and with this oxygen tank i can't make it up the hill to her gravesite so my grandson comes and does it and i'm like i said oh that's so nice of him to do that for you what a great guy and and he's like yeah and he says oh boy he says didn't we have some great times together you know you and my dad and I said yeah that was I said oh my goodness I said some of the stories my mom still tells I just I love to hear them and he's going on and, and about some of the stories and, and, and a tear comes to his eye and I was just like oh my goodness like what and he says you know and I don't know why he said it I don't know what prompted him where it came from but he said you know Kim don't ever stay mad at anyone he says life is too short and don't bring that pain on yourself that you don't need to. And I just, it just was like, you know, I got goosebumps. It was a hot, sunny day. And I, I got goosebumps because it was just like what I needed to hear 
at the time and just to release that that negativity and i i just you know thought that was just very wonderful and not a coincidence that happened at that time and we did reconnect and my mom and i went over to his place and played crib and and uh, we did uh, have some uh, a few times together before he he did pass and now he's up there with his with his wife and i go and pay my respects quite often because it's upon my path of where i walk but it was also neat that summer he says kim do you think he says do you think you could water every once in a while come and water this this plant and i said yeah i said you know what wally i said i come up here every day i said so i will i will water that plant and uh he says well you don't have to do it i said no i come up here every day anyways he says well thank you he says well it's not that far from where there's a water faucet and i said no problem i i don't mind so every day that summer i went except for we were on summer holidays so i got my graveyard worker friends to water it for me that's awesome yeah we kept that plant going all summer long until the deers came by and ate it yeah <laughs> wow that's so awesome and i think another point that you just landed on is the importance of stories and i think as as humans we really enjoy meaningful stories mm -hmm. and i think that that's another thing that young people who are facing poverty and stuff we miss out on that because there aren't like my getaway for myself we were we were in a food unstable home when i was growing up and so getting to go to my grandparents house and feel free and not stressed about food not stressed mm. about what what's going on in our community is there drug deals going on those types of things having the space to just have a story and have that culture and have that mm -hmm. sense of community and when strong families can tell a story and everyone remembers it and they're all laughing and crying and having that yeah. that's what brings people together but i do think that it's something that people in poverty miss out on because there aren't always those great stories of like remember when we were all together and we all treated each other mm -hmm. nice it's like that's few and far between that's a moment for them in comparison and i think that that's where these stories are so important to share because there are people who are going to read this book and go i never had parents like that i never had a house like that i've barely had my own space i don't have any stories of my parents being great and funny and bringing everyone together and so sharing those stories gives people that sense of culture mm -hmm. that this is the community i live in and i have a community of people who do share stories and do have s stories to mm -hmm. share with people because if i go out into the world and people are like oh well, you're from chilliwack what's chilliwack all about i can say okay well we have some great authors here who have shared some harrowing stories of what they've been through and I can be proud of my Chilliwack because these are the people within it and that's what gives our community strength is being able to draw on your experiences and say hey I know Kim Gamble I know uh, Angela Murphy they've written these books they make this impact on the community and I can be proud of that and that's what I'm trying to pull from because too often we can be like oh what's so great about Chilliwack we have some mountains and it's like we have so much more than that mm -hmm. if you just dig a little bit deeper and I think that that is where people who have tougher lives can read this book and smile again because the stories within it are stories of love care culture community mm -hmm. and so what was it what is it like to live and have so many strong stories for yourself to be able to share with people and like do you get 
is that exciting for you to be able to share these stories with people? Yeah, thanks, Aaron. You know, it's 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 never too late for people. So for you know, and we all are going to have adversity, whether it's uh, growing up in, in an impoverished home or or later in life, an abusive relationship or illness strikes us. Like there's there's always going to be adversity that hits us. It, but it, it's what we do with it that makes the difference. And it's never too late. Um, one of the stories in the book is 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 uh, I think it's a chapter devoted to. To it's never too late because of my friend who is in her late seventies who's starting to write a book. You know, it's 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 never too late, and and why? You know, I remember her saying, "Well, you know, what if I die before it's finished?" I said, "So what if you die before it's finished? You've got some chapters of a book. That's great. You didn't have to finish it. So it's it's you know it's, it's wonderful, rewarding to have people take that away and maybe do something that they thought it was too late. So it's, it's, it's funny because, um, the book, even though it's just newly published, uh, I've been getting some feedback from it already and I'm overwhelmed with the, the wonderful responses. And each one is, 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 it's funny. It's each one is though it's was the first one because it touches everybody differently and in a different way. And so it's like the first time I've heard it, uh, it, a compliment from somebody. It's, it's, I don't, you don't get tired of it. You never get tired of it because it's touching each person differently. And so that's the biggest excitement of it all is, is, and I'm always surprised. It's like, I'm surprised to like it. <laughs> like, I could get a thousand people say how great it was and I'm still surprised. I don't know. It's just funny. It's how I am. That's how, or my, I'm wired, I guess you'd say. Well, and absolutely because this, I'm sure they're re relating it to their own experiences and that has meaning when they tell you that like, I couldn't, I just focused on this one chapter and I yeah. couldn't get past it. And it was just so meaningful to me. And that's where those impacts, you don't know what the reach is going to be in those moments. And I know we were talking about that prior to the podcast that when you write a book like this, you don't know when somebody changes their approach with their boss or reconnects with their father or does things because of your book, because it's unlikely they'll ever tell you, oh, I reconnected with my grandfather because you wrote this right. and it reminded me of my relationship and it, it was time to mend fences. Yeah. Yeah. And so the depths and the impact that these can have can be underestimated. And same with the podcast. I have no idea if somebody decides to start a business because of this or, right. or do something differently, approach people differently because of it. And it's unlikely that I'll ever get to hear that story of right. how they approach things. And I think that that's where we have to say, we will never know the reach of it, but it's still worth doing right. because we will never know. Yeah. And it's important that you do it because we don't know. Yeah. And if everybody had the mindset of, well, no one's going to listen or no one's going to, then nothing would ever get done. Yeah. So you just like got to say, well, I'm follow your heart, follow your passion, and and just know that you're you feel like you're doing the right thing. It's kind of like a calling. Yeah, absolutely. And so one other part that I found really important about your book is that it comes with an idea. And I don't know if you know this, but um, we have lived historically in an individualistic society, which means that we operate as a family unit and communist countries operate as like everyone is the exact same and you, your family doesn't really matter. And that's how communism has approached things. And so I really like the emphasis on family because it seems like so many things are shifting within our communities that is moving us away from family. And so can you just mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about your philosophy when it comes to your family and then will lead into what your family dynamics were like and are like now. Yeah, well, you know, some of us are, are fortunate to have 
a big family or, or a small family, we're all really different and and some aren't close and some are close and some have eight siblings and some have none so it's all different but if you you have family support you want to draw on it and that can be you know i even find like some of our you know what's that saying you can pick your friends but you can't pick your family so even if we can draw on support from outside of our family they become family so it doesn't have to be blood related to be family because unfortunately there are families that don't have great families I, I i know people who have come from very broken homes and um didn't have the the opportunity to have the love of, of a family but if you bring in those people and put bring them under your wing and give them love and support then they become your family of uh, or Having just seen, you know, with my daughter being autistic, she goes to a program where uh, she does a lot of great things in the community. She delivers Meals on Wheels and she works at the Salvation Army and um, walks dogs at the SPCA. Some things have been changed and altered during this COVID time. But um, a lot of the participants in her program uh, have special needs and um, don't have a family. They live with caretakers and caregivers. And uh, some of them I've become very good friends with. And they love those children and those, those special needs people that they live with in their home like that. They are the mothers, like that's their, their children. And that just uh, melts my heart that there's people out there that do that. So they're, they're not blood related, but they love them as their own. And so um, family in, is, is a very broad sense for me. It doesn't have to be somebody that you're, you're related to. Um, and there are, there are people out there that that can give you the love and support that that you need if you don't have that at home. Yeah, absolutely. And so, what are your fi- family dynamics now? Uh, like now that things of you, your children are growing up, what is, what has life been like now? It's really great. I, I I mean, it's it's an adjustment, you know, because we have this preconceived notion of what's going to happen. We're going to graduate, go to school, maybe get a degree, get married, have children, have grandchildren, and you know so on and so forth. Well, not like that with me. Different family dynamic altogether. So big adjustment. It's not what we're taught to, to believe is going to happen. Um, for example, when my uh, some of my friends' children started getting married, you know, their their, their daughters were, were getting married and their dads were walking them down the aisle and then they started having babies. And I remember, you know, I just for a spell feeling like, Oh, you know, that's not going to happen with, with Jesse. You know, she's not going to get married and she's not going to have, have children. And so it's different. It's not the typical family dynamic. And for a spell that can get you down because it's not what you had hoped for. And, but then I think, you know, but I have so many blessings from Jesse. I get to have her to myself. And that is a joy because she is always happy, always smiling, tells me how much she loves me every day. Um, so my goodness, like what, you know, who cares that I don't have that typical life of what I thought it was going to be? It's much more richer in that sense. So it's just about spinning, spinning it around. Like people may think, 
Oh, it was me. Didn't go the way I thought. Yeah, but you know what? Look at the good things that, that did come from it. And, um, Jesse is my, you know, little sidekick and, and, uh, love her to pieces. And, you know, one day, uh, we will, she'll kind of live semi independently. Um, but for right now, I just cherish the, the time that we have together. So it's, 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 you know, that old saying, make, um, you're making, you know, lemonade out of lemons and, and, and just feeling blessed that I have that time with her that I wouldn't have had had things gone a different way um and and avery well he's you know he's going for his uh business degree um and minor in english at ufe so he'll get his degree in a couple more years so and he works part-time at home depot and he's just doing great i mean it was hard because when you've been so uh overprotective for him like when he gets his license and he kind of breaks free you're just like ah you know because you just know that feeling of coming so close to losing them, it never really completely goes away. But you learn to accept it and, and find the great things that come from it. So, um, and yeah, it's, it's great, you know, to, to, to still be able to go on family holidays together. Just before COVID hit last February, the four of us went to Mexico and, uh, had, had a fabulous time together. So you just look for the, the, the wonders that come from things that aren't expected. That's amazing. That's such a good story. Can you retell the story of Avery? Um, and he was in a race. Oh, yeah. That was a really good story. Well, you know, yeah, he, he had the determination of a giant because he, you know, he had these limitations with his cerebral palsy and his awkward gait but yet he had the desire to be an athlete like he you know because both uh myself and cam were quite athletic when we were younger um my, my husband went to sfu and he was top 10 in hurdles for for the track team so very athletic that played soccer up until a few years ago to the joints you know start giving away um so avery had that in him but he didn't have the he had a, the power the notion of the passion on the inside but his outer body wouldn't allow that to come through so it was hard because he would he would get so frustrated and as a parent you want to help them and 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 do it for them but you can't you know so it, it's it's a it's a struggle that you you learn to to deal with and, and get through um and i remember and sports days was painful because he would try so hard but he couldn't do well and 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 but you know, and I would say, well, you don't have to go today, honey. No, I'm going. And I thought, wow, he's teaching me the determination and not to, to run away. I'm like, this is remarkable that this, you know, seven-year-old is teaching me perseverance and determination. So it's how you kind of look at things. And you still learn. I'm still, you know, I'm 54 and I'm still learning. But so this particular day, it's, a, I don't know, 50, 75-yard dash. And, and uh, he's and he's going and he's not last he's actually not last and then he bites it he wipes out and he just goes tumbling and then he's not getting up and i'm like what well, you know i'm petrified what he's he's crying he's not hurt he's just he's crying he's on his knees and he's crying because he's wiped out and he's embarrassed because all the parents on the sidelines were watching him and as a parent, you just, you freeze. You just don't know what to do. And all of a sudden, one of, um, one of the other parents, uh, one of the parents of a, of a friend of ours comes in, remember, swoops him up, puts him on his shoulders and finishes the race with Avery on his shoulders. Well, there wasn't a dry eye in the sidelines. Like men, women, mothers, fathers, all were crying because this was, it was so 
emotional. And I'm, of course, you know, crying and, um, you know, every, you know, got off of, of Remit's shoulders and, and, uh, he was, you know, he, he actually started to laugh a little bit because he couldn't believe that this had happened. And, and it was like almost like a scene from a movie or something that you would see. So yeah, it's how you, you know, perceive things. But he, you know, he ended up, uh, uh, getting surgery where they, they cut his Achilles tendon to stretch it and cast it. So now he has much. What was that like? Was yeah. that hard for him? I could not imagine. Like when I even touch my Achilles tendon, I'm just. Oh, yeah. It was. Well, it was. Yeah. He was. He seemed okay with it. He's resilient. Like I tell you. He, he, but Cam and I were like, oh my God, back to Children's Hospital again. Oh my goodness. Here we go. Um, but it did help because they cut it in two places, stretched it, and cast him for, I don't know, six or eight weeks. He didn't really like having the cast, but it was great because after they took the cast off, he had much more mobility in his legs. And then we were back to the hospital again because Jesse had bad scoliosis, so she had a metal rod fused to her spine. So we're back at Children's Hospital again when she was 14. Wow. Yeah. What is it like to have that resource there? Because obviously I know Chilliwack Hospital wouldn't be, be able to meet those needs. What was it right. like to be able to go to a place where you could have confidence in? Yeah, it's just remarkable, life, life-saving. Uh, the, what Children's Hospital does and, and, and all they, they help and support, that's why I thought it was really important to um, support with proceeds of, of my, my book because they're just you know you lean on them for so much and I didn't even know until Avery was born I didn't even know there was a children's hospital what it looked like what that was about and so often we we don't until we need yeah. until we need it and we're completely reliant on it and then we're aware of the resources yeah exactly but it's one of the the best hospitals um in, in the world as far as the, the the care that they give to the little ones that's for sure wow that is that is so great to hear because it it's got to be so difficult to put your hands to your side and say, okay, you're taking this on and you're the doctor and to be in that circumstance and, and trust their service and their care that they care, hopefully close to what you care about making sure that everything goes well. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it's not easy and you don't get used to it. You would think, you know, okay, well, without Avery went through the first time, oh, this will be nothing. And it's like, no, this is still something. And parents would say to me all the time, you know, if, if their child broke a bone or, or something, they'd be like, oh, I shouldn't complain. It's nothing compared to what you've been through. And I, I, I said, no. I said, anytime your child has hurt themselves or in pain or cut themselves or, 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 or sick, you know, you feel angst. It doesn't, you know, whether it's a heart defect or skin knee, you don't like to when your children get hurt. So it's not a matter of degree of how right yeah and we get into that bad habit a lot where we compare ourselves to somebody else's circumstance and say well i'm not where you are so you have it way harder than me so i just don't get it it's like but you're still facing something like it doesn't remove that you're facing a challenge and you have to overcome that challenge regardless of other people's exterior realities as well Yeah. yeah 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 so moving a little bit forward where do you hope um, this lands within the community because I think that it's obviously having the impact. But what have you seen in terms of response? Because it's it's interesting to me because we live in uh, a community that's so diverse, both in faith, but in our politics and all of these different things. And we have so many different leaders in our community. Mm-hmm. What has the response been like for you in terms of living in Chilliwack? And was it exactly what you expected or was it surprising? Yeah, it, I I think it's a bit too soon to tell because it's just just 
touch the surface. It's just getting out there. Um, like Save On Foods just got the books on the shelf yesterday. Yeah. Uh, um, so it's just, just starting to affect the community. So I look forward to see how and what it does out there in our community. And uh, hopefully, you know, we'll get, you know, as the time goes by, we'll, I'll get to hear more feedback of how it affects people. Um, I'm, and I'm still working at looking at who could benefit from it. So organizations like Chilliwack Society for Community Living and people that need resources um, uh, of putting putting the books in those kinds of communities where people will be able to maybe find some resource or strength from it. Um, the, the Ann Davis Transition House. Uh, um, oh, there's so many different things that we, we have here in our community to support people who are having challenging times and going through struggles. So hopefully it will have a positive effect. And uh, um, I'm, I'm really good friends with uh, the mayor. Ken, so I'm going to tell him he's, he's going to read it and spread the message of, of what the book can do. That's a, that's a brilliant idea to put this into vulnerable areas where people are facing challenges that, that are so difficult to get through, to put this into transition societies and to, into the hands of people who could really he- need to hear a story of facing adversity and overcoming it. Where did that come from? Or was that, have, did you do that with the first book? Yeah, I think it's just something that, you know, as I mentioned, no matter whether we're rich or poor or, or what color of our skin, we're all going to go through challenges and, and adversity and everybody has their own strengths. And, and, um, I think if you follow your callings, follow for that feeling, like I almost didn't with not writing bravery, I almost pushed it aside. Um, and I think that if I could, you know, pass anything to people is, is to uh, follow their passion and, 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 um, whatever your strength may be, because we all are d- different strengths. Like Jesse's strength is volunteering. Um, I've never been great at volunteering. I, 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 on the Rotary and, and the Hospice Society, so I do volunteer, but it's it's not part of my daily activity, whereas that's what Jessie does every day. And Cam's mom, when she retired, she volunteered almost every day. Um, so whatever your strength is, however you can give back in your community, whether it's a book or your time or money, that's my what motivated me. That's amazing. Can you tell me about some of your role models through all of this and what what you took from role model, the people specifically? Because I think that one thing I want to make more clear is that we can draw specific things from specific people. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't need to be emulate the whole person and everything that they've done and just go copy it. It can be bits and pieces from different people. So can you give us a little bit of the lay of the land on people you look up to and what you get from those relationships? Yeah, if every experience, you know, I try to pull something positive from it. And, and luckily, maybe that's just my nature. I, I'm not sure. But I don't think I was always that way as, as, as a kid. But um, yeah, the, the, you know, uh, he, he's in the book, Dan. Um, he's a friend of mine who has major cerebral palsy. He has no motor control of his limbs um and his speech is is very challenging to decipher but um he is a famous artist and he his his um documentary won an oscar called king gim because he learned to paint by strapping a paintbrush to his forehead and doing these master art pieces and so i'm like Cheapers, you know, people think that, that they have limitations, but they don't. You know, um, we, 
everybody can be a role model and like, what a role model he is because he's got no use of his limbs but yet he became a, a famous artist who had an Oscar you know like so um that's just so important that we we pull from people who have done great things and we never stop learning. We never stop learning. Like my, I just took a, a very valuable lesson from a friend of mine who was heartbroken because her, she was a widowed at a very young age and a, um, a little girl. She had a little, little girl growing up and she's, she dedicated her time to raising her daughter. Never had another relationship for probably 15 years. And then now her daughter's graduated and off to university and she started a relationship. Well, she was so happy because she didn't think she could love again. And I told her, I said, you will be able to love again. No, I don't think I'll be able to ever love again. Well, she found love again. And she just had this skip and a step and, and the sparkle in her voice and, and twinkle in her eye. And it was wonderful to see that uh, uh, she had that ability to love again. But unfortunately, um, it didn't work out. He was unfaithful and uh, crushed her, wow. crushed her. And I thought, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. I, this is going to devastate her. This is going to crumble her. And she was quiet for a couple of weeks and didn't really want any contact. And then she said to me, um, after I called her after a couple of weeks, she said, you know, I said, how are you? And she said, I'm going to be okay. You know, I realized. I can love again. And I thought, wow, that is amazing. Like that's, you know, she's devastated and I thought she wouldn't recover. So we can never underestimate the power of people and who our role models may be. They may be your neighbor, your friend, a family member or a stranger. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that does go to that point where for some reason, we never trust test our true potential and I know I've been on runs and then you hit this point where you're like well technically I hit my six kilometer goal right. so I'll just stop now and yeah. it's like why are you stopping why are you putting this artificial boundary on yourself that you can only do this much and you need to stop here right. and I think we do that too often where we draw those boundaries and we're like I could never go do that same with the book and yeah. we just draw these artificial boundaries yeah and then we never get the opportunity to really see what we're capable of if we just went a hundred percent in took the risk on herself and again going back to i want to make sure i get the page right i think it's page <laughs> 60 um where you talk about these different approaches people have and i'll just read a few of them off because i think that they're so important it's eight simple ideas for getting started and the first is surround yourself with positive people the second is filter out negativity and discouragement um and the third is exercise more and Get your blood levels checked. And I found that that one was really important because I think that a lot of adults start to not worry about those things anymore. And I think that that's important that we start to recognize that we need to check up on ourselves mm -hmm. and on our health and where we're at. And I think too often we put our focus on other people and going exterior, where if we put a little bit more work into our own health, and making sure that we're okay, making sure that we can be present for whoever we're seeing, we can handle those situations better. And like when I'm approaching the podcast, it's like I make sure I know what I'm eating the night before, what I'm having the morning of, to try and make sure that there's nothing that's going to, I'm not going to be in a cranky mood right. or like You're awesome. in your optimum Ex shape. Exactly. Because it impacts you. It impacts the listeners. If they feel like I'm off track or I'm not making any sense or I'm hopping from topic to topic, it's going to discourage 
them listening to the podcast. The flow, right? Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. I want to make sure that that's always cared for, but it requires me to take care of myself. If I want to be a good host, I have to take care of myself where often people will be like, I'm putting it a hundred percent into the book or I'm putting it a hundred percent into other people exterior to myself. Then we wear ourselves out and we're no yeah. good to anybody. You're right. And so I'd like to get your thoughts on that because I feel like you are this caring person for so many people that keep an eye on things, but how do you keep an eye on yourself and make sure that you're cared for yeah i think that it i've just realized that you can't take care of other people until unless you take care of yourself i I remember hearing that many years ago and i thought oh that's so true like when the you know there's the oxygen's come falling down on your airplane you you have to put it on yourself first uh to be able to be there to put it on your child or, or what have you so i just realize that you know i have to take care of myself to be able to take care of other people and um i think this especially with what we're going through right now with the crisis on with the covid and and people's mental health we need to focus even more on taking care of ourselves because this is going to pass this this too will pass you know we and i talk about the the pandemic in 1918 how you know some of the great things that came from that um the same thing with this but we in order for that to happen we have to take care of ourselves and i've just been lucky to reap and feel the benefits of what it is taking time for yourself going on your walks like going on my walks every day like that is like you know it's a important to me as, as saying my prayers at night. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about how you approach your walks? Because I noticed that Rebecca and I have gotten more and more into bird watching and, and looking for certain things in the experience. And I, I do, like you did write, like exercise more. So I'm just more curious as to how you approach your exercise. What, what are you looking for and what do you take out of those experiences? Because I think for some people, I know I have a lot of friends who just hop on social media and they're walking down the the street with their phone and then it's yeah. like you're missing out on what you said you were going right. to do. So well, staying present, yeah. staying present is, is really what, like to me, when I think of um, going on my walks is it's a, a bonus of many sorts because I'm getting my exercise. I'm getting my heart rate up because I go on all hills. Like that's why I take that path is so I can get my heart rate up by going up on the hills. But the, the best benefit of it all, aside from the health, is, is just being in the present moment. Because so often we uh, are caught up with what happened yesterday or we're worried about what's happening tomorrow, that we don't take time to just be in the present moment, like watching that bird, you know, and listening to the sounds. Because it's therapeutic. It's, it's the best thing you can do other than meditate, even probably more so than meditating, because you're just grounding yourself. You're, you're, releasing all those the tensions of, of what bothered you yesterday and what you have to worry about tomorrow. And it's medicine. It's actually, you know, and you feel better when you can release all that. You, it, it releases those endorphins. So scientifically, it proves that it is good for us um, to get out into nature. So if we can learn stuff like by bird watching and different kinds of birds we're exercising our brain when we're being present with nature uh we're feeling a peace peace of mind and so you just look at all the benefits of of what it can do it doesn't seem like a chore anymore you actually start to look forward to it and again one of the i think one of the nice things that came out for me through from covid is uh, not being able to to have to go to the gym to instead of doing the the one hour on the treadmill um 
do the one hour on the walk rather than my dog getting a 20, 30 minute walk. He's getting 45, 60 minute walk. So those kinds of things, um, you know, we can find, but we have to understand that it's a choice. And I talked about that before. It, it's how we think about it, how we choose to um, think about it. Like even like I think I talked about it in the book is vacuuming. I hate vacuuming. I hate housework completely, totally. And I have a friend who loves housework. She finds it very therapeutic. And I don't understand that because I do not like doing it one bit. But I have a cat, a four cats and a dog. And, and uh, so I, and I don't like hair. So I'm vacuuming all the time. And I'm like, why do I have these animals? I hate vacuuming. And, and uh, so I thought, oh, I have to come to terms with, I'm going to have my animals. I'm going to have to vacuum. I have to be okay with it because I'm a procrastinator too. So I thought, how can I not hate vacuuming so much? And so then I just started playing this little exercise in my brain, thinking about just focus on how good it's going to feel when it's done. And it's only 20 minutes. It's not long. And and, and uh, then I started putting in my earbuds and listening to podcasts while I vacuumed. So I'm making productive time from vacuuming too. And so do I love vacuuming? No. But is it much more tolerable than it was? Absolutely. Yeah. So just... Things like that. It's a, it's a mindset. It's our choice. It's how we choose to deal with it. Because there's some things we have control over and there's some things we don't. Exactly. And I think that nature can be a really good thing for that. Because from my understanding, with technology's growth, we have really disconnected from the reality that we are very, very small creatures on a very small planet in a galaxy that we are just very small in. Yeah. And just reminding ourselves, when you look up at the, the stars, you can recognize like that is all going on without me being okay with it, or I don't get a vote on this. Yeah. And with living in a city, and as our city continues to grow, we're going to distance ourselves more and more because of ambient light. And because of developments, we're going to lose out more and more on that nature side of things. And that wilderness experience right. of recognizing that bear does not have an opinion on me. It doesn't care if I'm a good person or a bad person. Mm -hmm. It will take care of me regardless. And being able to have that humility is, I think, something that some people miss out on when you're on social media all day and you see I got 100 likes it can feel artificially like you are now an important person and things can't touch you the same way but you're still just a person yeah and I think that it's important that people start to incorporate recognizing that the ocean is a vast thing and if you get st stuck in the middle of it you're just that's it yeah and that you're a very small part of this ecosystem, and we all have a role to play. And I think that sometimes we can disconnect ourselves from that and think that we are this important person mm -hmm. at the head of this law firm, and we are vital to the role of everything. And it's yeah. like, eventually you're not going to be here. Eventually that's right. not going to matter. Exactly. we got to get over ourselves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that that's, that's so important that you recognize that you're playing a role within other people's lives. Oh, thank you. So I'd, I'd like to move this a little bit more into you and your personal experiences, just in terms of your development as a person, because I think that you are a role model to so many people and your philosophy is so key to people being able to do better. But I'd like to understand more of what your experiences were like in education, because I know a lot of people are going into university and it's good to get an idea of where your approach was with the university, because you wrote the, you went got the education and still left probably feeling like I could never write a book mm -hmm. but you wrote a book and so how does education play a role in someone's development while not 
only being the only way to succeed because you obviously wrote a phenomenal book without the education playing the main it's not like you went to school to become an author and then you became the author it's like that the education helped but it wasn't the thing that led to the book so what what role does education play in your in your life well it's a balance it's it's a balance and it just depends on if you know what you want to do uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And so uh, ed- education is very valuable, especially if you know what, where you're going, what you want to do. Um, it, it's very valuable. But life experience is just as valuable. Like there's many people out there that are uh, very successful, uh, not only monetarily, but but with uh, their philosophies and their beliefs and their that, that you know, didn't get a degree. So I think, you know, education is very important, especially to specialize in something like you, you know, whether it's kinesiology, sports medicine, whether it's sociology to understand, or, you know, like, my goodness, without education, we wouldn't have our surgeons and our doctors and, you know, everything else. So it's, uh, it's key, but you have to have a, have a passion for it because it's like anything. If you, if you don't like what you're doing, you're not going to be good at it. And I think I realized that young, but when I thought, okay, I'm going to major in French, I'm going to be a French teacher. Well, no, you know, I realized that that's, that's not, I'm not going to be really good at it because I don't really love it or whatever it may be, you know, business communications. No, I'm not, I'm not really that marketing minded kind of person. So I'm not going to continue with it. So just, you know, to, Throw your your passion into what you want to do, and then that way, because if you like what you do, you'll be great at it. Because I don't know many people that love what they do that aren't good at it. Yeah, you know, it's just you know, some a lot of people you know in high school they go through the motions because they have to, they have to, you know, they got to get their grade twelve and then go on because that's the way we're pre predisposed conditioned to to become. So it, it you know, for me, I. I I still say, I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do when I grow up. And I have a friend of mine who's in her uh, 40s who's going back to school, uh, going back to university. So, again, I think, you know, it's it comes down to that it's never too late. And if you know what you want to do, then you're going to get there a heck of a lot quicker. Well, and I think that that's so important because a lot of people can look at their life. And I know I did this when I graduated was... I graduated with a criminology degree, and then I was like, I don't know if I, this whole criminology, criminal justice thing is for me. And you can feel a little bit like, did I just waste my time? And I think that that's the error a lot of people make, and why people commit too much to, I could have just said, well, I got the crim degree, so I better go become a police officer, right. or do whatever right. that education told me to go do. Right. And that's what you didn't do. And so I think that that's so important for people to recognize the education can offer value, it can help shape your understanding of the world, but it doesn't define you. Right. The same way that people will do with their careers and they'll be like, well, I am this person, so I act this way. And like, I know lawyers are bad for that. All law shows show the same type of person in all the different shows. And so you can think, if I want to be a lawyer, I need to act this way and present myself that way. And that's where we just try and fit ourselves into these categories. And I think that you breaking that category of like, well, technically I got my education in this, so I can't write a book is so important for people to to take off those caps of what are the rules to you sharing your story. And so I'm curious as to how 
you would what would you say to somebody who's considering writing a book for themselves and what some what is some of the advice you would give if somebody's considering it or they have something that they'd like to share what would your approach be just dig in just dig in just get started just you know it'll come if that that movie i love that movie feel the dreams with kevin costner you know build it and they will come just get started like cuz I, I i didn't think yeah i knew nothing about writing a book but i just said okay and the rest falls into place so taking that leap of faith is huge to be able to get things done that you never thought you, that you could or that you keep shelving that you keep dusting under under the carpet um and there's also there's mentors out there um i'm i'm just becoming a mentor to a special needs adult who wants to write a book so we have a Zoom meeting set up for next week. That's awesome. And I thought, wow, how great this person is. You know, I, I'm not sure what the nature of the disability is, but here's this disabled person who wants to write a book. And now there's resources for, in, from our community that are going to make this possible. So th they reached out to me and said, would you be a mentor to help uh, somebody do you know, a give them the path to what they need to do to become an author. And I thought, absolutely. And that's what it's all about is sharing our experiences. And, and um, I had my, one of my mentors, Glenda Stand, even she wrote a book before me and she became my mentor because she had, uh, I, I remember you know, reading her book and, and remember seeing that, you know, when she came to her cancer diagnosis and she lost her leg and I'm like, oh my goodness, my grandma lost her leg. And I thought, I wonder if they know each other. Because my grandma, when she lost her leg, she would mentor all those in the community who would lose a limb, taking them to the best prosthetic places, the best doctors, telling them that they're going to be okay. So I found her email and I emailed her and I said, I've read your book and I wonder if you know my grandma and I'm writing a book too. And, and she, uh, got back to me right away and she said you know I heard of your grandma but she passed away before I lost my legs and and uh, but I heard wonderful things about her and and she's like so you're writing a book and I said so she helped me and so it's again paying it forward so now there's this person who is wants to write a book and is coming to me wow. so if we you know don't give back or pay it forward you know how sheltered and limited we would be so that was my you know uh, most exciting time is seeing how the benefits of passing on what we can you know to, to give back and to pay it forward that is such an important story and like it, i'm sure listeners are like that all makes sense and i completely support that approach but i just have to say um at my law school right now the first years um were just caught recently guilty of gathering information on people's social media pages of people who were not following the covid19 protocols and they were sending it they were planning on sending who broke the rules to employers to ruin their careers and to prevent them from being able to get jobs. Wow. And so it's really easy to see what you did and your approach of supporting other people and helping and giving them a ladder up to find their own success and your mentor doing that. It all sounds like it's straightforward and so clear, but there are real people out there who have the exact opposite mindset of tearing other people down. And I think that that's important to contrast with because it can be so easy to say that makes sense for sure and not realize that there are there are real circumstances where people will hoop you mm -hmm. in order to get themselves ahead. And it is a, a really important thing to set the example of how to approach things because 
that is a way of you offering the opportunity and sharing what you've learned with somebody else. And I completely agree with you, but I think that there are so many bad actors out there that do the exact opposite and they can kind of become the culture because within, again, the legal community, it is very well known that a lawyer will hoop you in order to get ahead and that those things really do happen within the the workplace. Yeah, we we get stereotyped. You know, we, we do, we get stereotyped and, um, Typically, you know, lawyers are, are known to you know have have a, a bigger ego. Um, I know some personal, uh, personally, some lawyers who are lovely people who uh, founded uh, foundations and charities. But it's it's you know like the old saying, "One bad apple ruins a bunch," right? And, and that's the th- that's how we perceive it. That becomes a stereotype, even though it, it isn't so in all cases. But also. Uh, there's a chapter in the book that I talk about ego. And so those people that want to tear down rather than build up, uh, they need to simply get their ego in check. And it's, it's not impossible, uh, especially, but if you're not aware that you're doing this something wrong, how can you fix it? You know, we have to be aware of, of the, the, our actions, um, and, and our behaviors and, and, and realize that it's not acceptable. We're not doing it with the best intent. So, uh, by doing that is learning about the ego and that was really important for me because I thought ego was meant that it was just having a big head people who thought they were all that uh, but it's so much more than that and it's about not trying to identify ourselves by uh, who we are or our title so to speak and when we can uh, release that and, and understand that we you know are don't have to do that way to prove anything to anybody. Uh, we can become more giving, better people, and it's it's not that difficult. But you just have to be aware because, like I said, if you if you don't know that you know that that you have these challenges or problems, you know if you don't know it's broken, you can't fix it. Yeah, yeah, and especially if you get into bad communities that support the behavior you're having, because that's one problem that law schools have faced is that there's. There's reason, there's incentives for people to do these things. And right. that's the job. And everybody wants that one job. Yeah. And so they're all competing and willing to hurt each other. And so we need to change how the whole system operates and look at trying to support people doing the right thing and making that the currency of our communities yeah. rather than financial incentives, which can incentivize people to do the wrong things right. just to get themselves ahead. And that's why I think that you set the example above all else because you are putting in the work to sh- not only share your story but to help lift people up and give them more opportunities to help others authors who are interested supporting the healthcare workers who did that work and doing so much supporting children's hospital that's all going beyond yourself and looking at how can I take the new position I'm in that I've moved forward and also help raise everybody else up. And I think that that's that thing of rising tide lifts all boats. And that's exactly what you're doing. When did that start? Was that as a kid? Was that later in life? Where did that all begin? I think I I think it was through our examples. I think it was like our, through our mentors, like with my grandma losing her leg Um it could have, you know, really changed her life to the worse. And it didn't. It enriched her life because it made her aware. So she would say things to me like, oh, you know, Kimmy, I, I never appreciated riding my bike until my leg was gone. So she taught me the value of appreciating things now because we don't, we don't, 
we take it for granted. We, we often take things for granted. So it's, it's kind of like what I said before. We can't, you know, really appreciate the sun until after a bunch of stormy days. Right. So it's all kind of, that's, I think was instilled in me because I, I think that a lot of it is, um, predisposed, like who we are genetically. But that, that doesn't mean that it has to be who we are. It, because I lived a very, you know, uh, rose-colored glasses life, you know, uh, until this happened with my with my son. But I had the, the opportunity to either let it um, learn from it and grow from it, or not. So, and I wonder, you know, had my grandma not uh, had I not had her as my role model, as my mentor, would I have done the same? I don't know. You know, that's some things that we just really don't know. But I know that it's never too late to stop learning. And something, as a, we know where there's no such thing as coincidences, something at the right time will, will come by if we open up our mind to it. If we are always living life with blinders on, uh, we're not going to see the opportunities that come our way. So I, I think it's really important to tell people to look for the opportunities, even if you didn't have... Uh, uh, a great life growing up it, it's it's never too late because a lot of the greatest things in life were accomplished from people who r rose up through the ashes absolutely i agree with that can you tell us a little bit about the heart and stroke foundation and your involvement in that and what that's been like yeah well um i saw an opportunity they were hiring a, a, a person to do some campaigning for the, the heart and stroke foundation and so i i applied even though i i didn't have the uh um, creditations to do it because it was a lot of, you had to have like a, a degree in communications and, and so forth, which I never finished my degree, but, uh, I had the desire and I had the passion to apply for it, even though, um, it said, you know, you had to have these qualifications, but I thought, well, you know, you never know until you try. So that's my motto. And, and so I had the interview and they, you know, they said, well, you know, you don't really have the qualifications for this job. And and I said, I know, but I have the passion to do it even better than somebody that has the qualifications. And they're like, okay, you know, well, we'll, we'll talk about it and, you know, we'll get back to you. And so I didn't really know where I stood as far as getting the job or not. I, I had no clue. I, I, I thought, well, I did good, but I don't have qualifications. So I'm walking back out to my car and I look down and there's a feather. And that's a sign. That was a sign because, um, I know that when I see feathers or certain things that that's, a, that's a sign. So I just immediately big smile on my face and I thought, I got the job. Well, they were supposed to phone me on a certain day and never came. Phone call never came. So I thought, oh, do I phone them? What do I do? Oh, maybe I was wrong. I didn't get the job. And then I didn't get the call and I didn't get the job. Yeah. And that was wonderful because, uh, uh, and when I said I had the passion for the job, it was because, of my son having a heart defect and, and giving back to the Heart and Stroke Foundation was wonderful. So to be able to make money and do good things, like that's a win-win. It doesn't get any better than that because, of course, we need money to pay our bills and, and put gas in the car and everything else. Otherwise, I would do it for nothing. But uh, so that I thought that was great. So I was able to... Um, uh, the, the, what I did qualify for was a speaking part of it. So I was able to go to different places and tell my story and speak to people about the value of supporting uh, foundations like the Heart and Stroke Foundation and, you know, all the foundations out there. We wouldn't be where we are if we didn't have the support from, from the people. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about the Heart and Stroke Foundation and what you would talk about? Because I don't know as much as I probably should. So, so you tell, you know, I would tell my story about what happened with with Avery, you know, and and um, 
uh, which, you know, as you know, with hearts and, and stroke, we, you know, we can be born with a heart defect or we can find out in later in life that we have a heart defect or we can have a stroke or a heart attack when we're a kid or when we're older. So it's, it's um, mostly you know, what we did was raise awareness. I think that was, you know, of course, we raised money for um, the, the hospitals and all of the therapies that go post heart attack because we but most of all we want to prevent them um, but we also do support people who've had them so it was kind of nice to be able to look at both ends but uh, prevention is key you know so we would raise a lot of money to put defibrillators in every store in every gym in every health club and those have saved thousands of lives just by having that there because the, the quicker you can get to somebody who's having a heart attack the better chance or a stroke the better chance of them living and 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 having a full recovery so uh we talked a lot about uh, preventative signs to look for um things like that and and, and introducing education in schools like the jump rope for heart and, and that kind of thing as well so uh, again mostly just you know things that to to create awareness of of how what we need to do diet exercise you know just spreading the word of, of what what we should be doing that's awesome and you also mentioned that checking your heart and stuff within the book yeah. which i think is so valuable because it all does tie in and your experiences really do make up the book moving forward you recently just joined the chilliwack hospice society yeah what has that been like well it's different because it's i joined in covid so i haven't uh met the people in person i mean i do know a uh, sue uh, pre previously and and she's a remarkable woman i just and i love the podcast that you had with her um that you know i didn't know a lot of the stories that came from the podcast that you had with her uh so i look forward though to um being a, a part of what they do because uh again it's it's supporting people who have gone you know, who are grieving and and right now during the time of covid i think we really see the value of that more than ever um I, I did volunteer for hospice, so years ago, uh, I would uh, volunteer for on the committee for the gala that they would have, which, of course, we haven't been able to have with COVID, but we will again. You know, next year, we're planning on uh, having it going forward, so we'll be looking forward to raising lots of money for that. So it's about raising money and having fun. I mean, that, you know, that's the thing is I, I like to, to explain to people that, you know, when we're doing uh, volunteer work or, or we're volunteering on committees, uh, it's, it's about making connections and making friendships and having fun while you do good things. Cause I, I'm all about having fun and laughing and being silly. Um, and you can do that while you're, you're having, doing something good to, for our community too. That's so cool because you can often get stuck with the title of like, you're on the board of directors for this society yeah, right. and it can sound serious like and yeah i'm on the board of directors i'm a board of director oh you know but i could you know it's, it's fun and sue for anybody that knows sue that she's a vivacious woman and she she'll make any endeavor fun yeah how long have you known sue uh since probably now uh, she probably she's better at knowing numbers than me but i would say I've, I've known of her for a long time because i remember going to the gala with her and sitting at her table when she was a city councillor yeah. um but we became more personally connected when she married my dad's best friend really yeah Wow. Yeah, that was pretty special. It was quite something. So, um, so we really connected through, through that relationship blossoming. That's awesome because she is such a role model and works so hard and has that giving spirit just like you. Oh, she sure does. It's, and it's so authentic. Like she just has a passion for community like no other.
Yeah. Can you tell us about um, recently in November, you posted about trying to help people through this pandemic. And I think that that's important to highlight because during this time, we have seen a reduction in the access to income for a lot of people because of the pandemic. And you made a post basically just reaching out and saying, anybody who needs anything, I'm here for you. Right. What brought that about for you personally? You know what? That was just, you know, uh, I, I remember seeing it from somebody else. I think it was Bill Turnbull, yeah. uh, who you did a podcast with him too, which yes. was fabulous as well. So neat how we all are connected and know each other because he's on our rotary. Yes. And, uh, and I've always been, uh, I always looked up to him because he is so supportive of community. And I saw he made that post and I thought, what a heck of a great idea because there are people out there who, are suffering, whether it's monetarily or, or emotionally, uh, um, especially during this time. So I thought, yeah, that's just what humans who have something to offer. It's just, I think it's what we should do naturally, just be able to do it. And, um, it's also contagious, you know, like, like, so I saw it for Bill and then I did it and then hopefully somebody's seen it for me and then they did it. And, 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 and so it's contagious. And then we just, it's, it, it feel good if we can, can help somebody. So it's kind of a, a, almost a little bit selfish too, because when you help other people, you feel good. So it's, it's a, it's a win-win. It's just kind of like when we smile at somebody, it coaxes them to smile back at us. Yeah. So it's a win-win thing too. That's awesome. Since we're on the topic of uh, Bill and, and small businesses, can you mention some of the businesses you think set an example in the Fraser Valley and some that have just stood out to you that go above and beyond in certain ways? Oh, well, the, the bookman comes to mind because uh, Amber, who has done so much with our community and the downtown core to clean that up and the murals and the, and the garbage. I mean, uh, and, uh, our mayor can pop off. He, you know, he's done a fabulous job. He's born and raised in Chilliwack and he's always had a passion to, um, for Chilliwack. He's always thought it's, it's the best hidden, hidden gem that there is. So what he's been able to work with, with the downtown business association and then as a Chilliwack counselor and now as mayor. Uh, so he's really really looking at taking our community and um, making it as, as best as it can be. Yeah. Is, yeah. There, is there any businesses that you enjoy visiting and going to, to, to shop? Oh, I love going to Mary's in Wellington. Um, I love Mary. She is, she's just a breath of fresh air and, and a big, huge supporter of Chilliwack and shopping locally. Um, of course, the town butcher is always great to go to all things being eco is a great store. I just, um, bought some stuff there yesterday and uh, they have like natural laundry detergents and essential oils and every kind of gadget gadget. They have socks made from hemp. Uh, it's just, you know, and, and they all support local community. The, um, oh, and, and the owl and the cat bookery. It's a new bookstore in Garrison that is the most charming store. They've got gifts and kind of crafts and, jewelry and books and um it's just a, a adorable little store there and yeah i could go on That's <laughs> like awesome. there's so many i can't even uh, begin to think of 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 uh where but yeah it's really important to stay with you know our local community shops because they need them 
more than ever right now. And there's some that have opened up that I look forward to going. The Bravo is one of my favorite restaurants to, to go to. Um, I look forward to going to the Bounds Dern, but we just haven't really been going out to, to restaurants. Yeah, lately. I see there just, we, like there's so many opening that look great, but yeah. sitting down in a restaurant is not something that we're doing right now. Yeah. 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 So it's been tough, but moving forward a little bit more, what are your plans for the future for the next couple of years? Because you do have two great books available now and you're working hard to, to promote them. So is there any other events that you have going on or any plans you have for the next couple of years? Well, I, I look forward to doing some more public speaking. Um, I, I've talked to um, a life coach that I know and we've talked about doing some workshops where, you know, we, so people who you know, taking like smile again to the next level. So people who have read smile again, okay. They now they, they want to make improvements and, and, and so, um, doing like workshops to help them through that kind of thing to get it in motion. So get it from up here to actually concrete and happening. So that's what I hope to do. So once the, the rules loosen up with COVID, I think it will open up a lot more doors to be able to do that. Um, but for right now, I'm, uh, it just really enjoying doing podcasts like this, you know, just to spread that awareness and to uh, be, you know, talk about other things that we can do that, that, uh, to be able to find the silver linings. I did a podcast that was out of Las Vegas. Um, and I'm doing one next week that's out of New York. Wow. Um, and so it's, it's, I kind of do, and I work, um, part time at a medical aesthetic place as well, uh, in, in Langley and, uh, Rejuva Medispawn Laser, fabulous place, um, uh, where we treat everything from, acne to acne scarring to uh, sun damage to wrinkles <laughs> and all kinds of other things so it's uh, the doctor that, that that I work for and and uh, so I do consulting which is fabulous because it's all about helping people feel better because so many people are coming in and they're just they're not feeling good about themselves like they they see the signs of aging coming in and it's it's uh, making them feel not good like they so many women come in with the with the frown lines and they're like people are saying are you angry and i'm like no it's just these lines here that are just formed now i'm not angry and so um to be able to help somebody feel better about themselves you know who have like acne scarring that we have lasers that can smooth the surface just so that they feel better it's not really about looking better it's about feeling better about how it makes them feel so it's quite a rewarding job when you know because i'll say to to women and men because we men are coming in too and you know and i'll say you know you zoom in to look and you all you see is like these wrinkles here or the sagging here you don't look in the mirror and go oh I've got beautiful eyes or oh I've got a beautiful smile oh I've got lovely hair and they're like no I never do that I'm like well start doing that start focusing on the good things because just as those the things that bother you there's beautiful things to focus on too yeah and some start crying and I'm like like you have beautiful eyes you know and you have a beautiful smile and they're like Oh, and they just, they instantly start feeling better. So it's what we focus on. So we can look at the good things and say, oh, yeah, I have, you know, nice kind eyes or I have this or, or we can say, oh, I don't like these wrinkles or, you know, what have you. So it's kind of how we, how we look at it. And I'm, you know, I, I, if I think I can help them feel better in any kind of way, um, then that's a, that's a good thing. I, I did a blog that said outside beauty is an inside job. Yeah. 
that's such an important thing because Rebecca and I faced that in the beginning of our relationship because she would put on makeup and it would take like 45 minutes to an hour. <laughs> and to me, I would just be like, okay, if I sat and she would just come back and say, I didn't like this or I, I didn't like seeing this part of me or like, yeah. have you seen this new like pimple, pimple like, yeah, whatever yeah, it yeah. is. And it would be like, right. But if I spent an hour staring at myself in a mirror, I probably would start to find things too. Find those things, yeah. And that's where I really do think that women can be at a disadvantage because I don't look at myself in a mirror unless it's like right away I'm getting ready and then I'm out of there. Yeah, and right. it's, it's whatever needs to be done and then yeah. gone. Yeah. And I don't look at, I don't have mirrors set up yeah. where I think that that can be a disadvantage to spend so much time critiquing yourself and going what right. what are the problems here and it's like if you spend too much time doing that you're going to start to pick on yourself and start to focus on only those things so when somebody shows up i'm sure it's like oh well i'm sure you can clearly see this one thing and you're right. like see what right yeah. i know it's so interesting how we we focus on things that that don't really matter that much like um or what we think is bothersome that other people don't even notice. You know, it's like, I, so I admire people who have those imperfections and that are cool with it. Like people that have like big gaps in their teeth or whatever, they find the beauty in that. Like that famous actress, Lauren Bacall, you know, who, who you know, that's beautiful that she embraces that. So, uh, I, and that's a work in progress for me. I mean, I would love to be able to come to this podcast with not a stitch of makeup on, but I don't have that um, security enough yet to, yeah. to be able to do that because I do realize that we are, are, are judged by perceptions. Yeah. And you know, and I get that. It's like when I was my my child's advocate in in school, you know, going to the meetings because I needed to 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 fight for my child's rights to get the support, to get the extra help, to get that laptop computer with the books put in for Avery. If I had come there with messy, greasy hair, tattered up, torn clothes, would those principals and teachers have have looked at me differently than if I walked in with a suit and all manicured? Probably. Yeah. And it's sad. It's sad. It does, just because of what I'm wearing doesn't really define who I am, but to the eyes of many, it does. Yeah. So, you know, it would be nice to work towards that not happening, but I, you know, I think we're, we're a ways of, away from having that happen. But I'm working on it. And that's the thing is I want to really get my point across to people too is it's okay to have flaws or have things to work on and to admit it because you can't change it until you can admit it. 100%. And I think that men, especially with makeup, have a role to play because a lot of it is if I stay silent, if I let her sit in front of the, the mirror for an hour each day, that is me condoning that behavior. And at certain points, if we're just running to save on, you do not need to dress up. You don't need to stress. Right. If somebody's going to make an issue of this, I will just call them out. And like, yeah. Th there are certain lines where we should give people a break. Like if you go yeah. into the store, there should be no obligation that you're dressed up and ready for right. a business meeting. It's and in context. Exactly. Up to what you're doing. Yes. Yeah, so well, exactly. No one would balk at you if you walked into save on after work with paint on your clothes. Yeah. Because you've obviously just come from work and you're a painter. So we should, you know, shouldn't judge that. So it's it's in context and again balance, right? Is you know, and it's something to be aware of. Of of not judging a, a book by its cover that way, but uh, we have a lot of progress uh, to be made in order for us to have, make some headway when it comes to things like that. Absolutely. And especially because we can get caught up in that that's what matters. Yeah. And I think that things like your book show that there are way more 
depths to people than just the cover of the the book and just the surface level of what's going on because yeah. again the stories that you have to share with people are very profound one of the questions i had regarding it is is it available in audio that's a good question i so i i emailed my publisher about that because i have a friend of mine who had a stroke and he's not able to read um but he can have audio books so i i emailed the publisher and said can we make this an audio version? And he said, "It's what we could, you can do is purchase it on an ebook, and then use that volume on the computer as an audiobook. Does that make sense? So, does somebody else read the book? Like, I, did they pay someone else to do the reading of the book? Uh, uh, yeah, I'm not really sure how it works because I'm technically challenged. But he said something about. By downloading the ebook and using the volume off the computer to right. to hear it, okay, so that you don't need to be read it. To okay, read it. I was just going to yeah. say because I think that having your book read in your voice would be so valuable to people because it is your story, and so if there's a way that we can make that happen, oh, that would be really cool. That's a good, yeah. That's that's a really good point. I I mean, I would I would l like to do that. I wonder. How, I'll maybe check in to see how that can be possible. Yeah, because I think no matter how it happens, whether or not you just need to connect with your publisher or we can just sit down and have you read the book whenever works for you to read it, because I do think that that would yeah. mean a lot to people, especially for people like me. When I am doing my cleaning, I'm not somebody who usually sits down and reads a book. Right. I'm usually an audiobook person who prefers it through that lens. And so I think it would just be able to reach more people, especially youth who are not yeah. known for reading. That's great. Thank yeah. you for bringing that up, because I'm going to pursue that more for sure. I I'm going to make that happen yeah. because I know a good friend of mine, he, he really wants to, re to read the book or hear the book yeah. because he can't read it. So that's great. I'm going to make sure that happens. Yes. And I, I just prefer when it's done by the author of the book because then it makes it that more personable right. feeling. And, and the, those, the feelings come out yeah. in the words, like that the passion comes out in the voice rather than just the words that you were reading. So that's a great point. Exactly. Yeah, thanks. So moving forward, I feel like you are also a very artistic person with both of the images. And I'm just curious as to your approach with the arts and your relationship with it. Uh, well, I used to be a painter. So I, when Avery came home from the hospital, I thought, well, I don't want to work. I don't want to leave the home during the day time because I didn't want to leave him at all. So... Eventually, I think it was after about a, uh, close to a year, I thought, well, you know, I would like to do something. So I opened up my own interior business where I did uh, specialty painting. And because I've always loved to paint, my husband and I would buy houses and we would, I would, we'd paint them and, and uh, I would do fancy things. Like I'd paint over the ugly brick or the ugly tile and make it look like rock or granite. And, um, I, I just had lots of fun doing it. And that way I could work on the weekends or in the evenings when my husband was home with, with Avery and Jesse. So that's how it all kind of started. And I just, I love, loved our arts, loved the arts and, and, uh, loved painting. And that's kind of what got me started on, on wanting to do the covers a certain way. You know, they just, those images pop into your head because I think anybody who has some kind of an arts background or artsy person, they can see it in their mind. You can, you can visually see the outcome of it in your mind, if that makes sense. I'm yeah. not sure. But I could 
it's just kind of like when you're when I'm cooking. This sounds funny. I don't know what it is strange, but when I'm cooking and I can't follow a recipe to save my soul. That's why I don't bake because it would not turn out. But for cooking, I can't. I'm like, no, it would taste better with this, or no, I, I'm going to use this, and no, I'm going to add that, or I'm not going to use that, but I'm going to use this because I can almost taste it before it's made. Yeah, what it's going to be like. So it's a it's a weird thing in my head that that's, I do. <laughs> That's just funny because that is just so Rebecca as well in terms of her approach where she, I will say like, oh, this is the recipe. And she'll be like, we're not making it that way. And it's just like, right. oh, okay, okay, I don't know how to make it. Yeah, it's just kind of, you just see it, feel it, touch it, uh, taste it before it's done. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about renovating houses and uh, the role your husband's played? Well, he wasn't always a realtor. He just became a realtor, I don't know, probably 10 years ago now, maybe maybe a bit more it's a time goes so fast you forget right but uh so yeah he wasn't a realtor when we were buying and selling the homes like we were just trying to get ahead so we'd buy a fixer-upper um and renovate it to just do you know surface things and then and sell it for a bit more money and then buy another one and do the same thing what was that experience like during that period of time it was it was it was Okay, because I like doing it. I liked it was very rewarding taking something ugly and making it look good. Yeah. <laughs> it was therapeutic, I think. And you know, you look back and you think, how did I do all that with kids and, and all? But uh, you, you know, you had a lot more energy back then. I would stay up till twelve or one, which I can't do now. Uh, and so it, yeah, so it was very rewarding, and we were able to do that. And then, then when my husband became a realtor, we bought a house. Well, we've been in that house ever since sixteen years. I'm ready to move, but he doesn't want to, but that's okay. I'm like, it's a, it's a lovely spot and we're, we have lots of uh, great friends around us, which I think is, I'm learning more important than the actual house you live in is the people around it. Yeah. So what has that experience been like for him? And can you just give us a little bit more detail on where he's at? Yeah. He, he always wanted to be a realtor. Uh, it's something that, that was a passion of his before we even had children, but then, you know, you got to pay the bills and this and that. And so it just never happened. And then finally, I think he just realized that I'm not getting any younger and, uh, something he always wanted to do. So, I said, yeah, let's do it because we spend so much of our time working that we want to be able to like what we do. You know, I, I, my heart goes out to the people who are working in jobs that they just don't like. And I think I talked about that too in the chapter about, um, life is too short to, you know, to, to spend so much time doing something that you don't like. But then also for people that don't really have a choice, try to make the best of it, of, of, of how you view things. So he, when he, Cam became a realtor, you know, it's a tough gig to to start out in, in realtor when there's so many, you know, already uh, respected realtors out there to, to make headway, to uh, make yourself known. So, uh, but because he's authentically loved what he did and he has really the, the um, buyer's best interests or buyer's seller's best interests at heart, he did really well. Because people can see that. People can tell when you're just a, a shyster salesperson or if you really have the client's best interest. So um, he's been able to do quite well with it because he, he really loves what he does. He has a passion passion for doing it. That's awesome. And it kind of seems like both of you guys are in the public eye a little bit by trying to promote the book and promote like real estate and sales. What yeah. has that been like to move more into the public light and to be more in front of cameras and microphones and stuff? <laughs> I don't know. I don't really feel like I'm um, 
out there a lot. I, I guess I am because you just you do it because you you want to. And, and uh, but I, I I do. I remember thinking like, geez, for people who are famous, like they have to be careful of of what they say and do because they're known out there in in the community. And I remember thinking, okay, I have to make sure that you know I if uh, you know what I'm doing in my house because if somebody walks by and sees what you're doing, but I, I'm not like people don't recognize me a lot. I mean, some do, but. Uh, um, I think it's it's you just do it because you want to get your voice out there. You want to get what's what um, what's important out there to people. And uh, I not I don't really like being in the public eye or watching myself on TV. It drives me crazy because I, I watch my TED talk and I'm like oh, horrified. I'm like, what am I doing? That's I don't know if we have time, but there's a little funny story about let's, that. Let's keep going. Okay. Well, so. I'm prepared for this TED Talk, and I and I think I'm prepared because I've, I've studied it and I've got it off by heart. And but I, you don't want to sound rehearsed, right? You want it to sound natural, like you don't like not like you're reading. And I'm a big improviser. Like I'm a, I don't follow my script, just like I don't follow a recipe. So that stressed me out a little bit because I knew I was going to go off into a tangent and talk about something that wasn't in script. And then that's added pressure because you only have a certain amount of time. If you go over your time, like your talk is done. Like yeah. you, you know, so there's all this pressure. But I think it all. Okay, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. I practice enough. I'm okay. So I get out on the stage, and. I'm wearing high heel shoes and the red, you know, the red circle carpet for TED Talks. Well, the carpet that we ordered had thick shag like this. I'm getting stuck in the carpet. No. And I'm so I'm trying and I can't just stand still when I talk. I can't stand still. I have to move and address the audience and move side to side. If it's a nerve thing, I don't know, but I have to move. So I'm, I'm, trying to move, but I'm getting stuck. And so I'm lifting up my leg to, to, to move around. And it almost threw me off. I almost like totally had a breakdown. Like I just threw me, threw me right up. But somehow I was able to hold it together and make it through the talk without too many people noticing. They did a great job of editing. The TEDx Chilliwack people uh, are, are fabulous at, at putting their, their talks together and doing everything that they've done to make it very professional. Wow. So I look forward to being on the panel next year um, as a judge and coach again. Wow. What has that experience been like? It's been really rewarding as well. But, you know, to to have, for first of all, to do a, a TED Talk, which was on my bucket list, but then to be asked to be a coach was like, Wow, that's that's pretty cool. And then it has to be a judge. I'm like, that is so great because it means that you know you you get um, to have an input in somebody creating uh, the the end result that's going to be heard by so many. So and providing that advice to people because I had I had a coach when I did a TED talk, and I think thank goodness I had a coach because. They taught me a lot of things that helped me succeed with my TED Talk. So again, it's kind of like paying it forward. That's awesome. What is the judge experience like? Do they do you judge the TED Talk? Well, or it's, read it? it's it, you get like I think we had oh I don't know seventy eighty applicants. So they what we do is we cut, we narrow it down from what whether you know if, is it. Uh, perceptive to what what the topic is is it relevant is it newsworthy is it entertaining um all the guidelines of of what a ted talk is about uh, and then 
So then we narrow it down. So then each of the those contestants that we've narrowed it down to, they speak for five minutes. And then so we take those top 20 or however it is, many it is, and then we pick from them. So it's hard. It's challenging because how do you know from five minutes whether or not it's going to be a, a worthy TED Talk or not? And it was it was, so it was a little bit stressful because I'm thinking, you know, there's, these are good ones they, they, that we have to say goodbye to. I want them all to, to speak, but um, there's always next year, right? Wow, that is such a unique experience. I can't, just because I'm on a platform where I can speak as long as I want and I can make as many errors as I like, yeah. it's, it's such a weird idea yeah. of, of being in that stressful circumstance of not having your story shared that year, but also so rewarding when that your story is chosen right. and shared with the community. Yeah, yeah. So moving a little bit more forward, I'm just curious as to what your family's reaction to the books have been. Uh, first, let's start with Bravery. What was oh, it like to have that written and share that with with Avery and with your family? Well, it, it, it was spectacular. It was wonderful to be able to share their um, their amazing qualities. Uh, you know, we could talk about how wonderful they they are. And Jessie, being the just the gem that she is, so she was in high school when it was published, and she had a, her own copy of the book. And one day, I come home uh, and I'm taking out her stuff from her lunch kit to, to make her lunch for the next day. And there's a copy of Bravery in her lunch kit. And so I said, Jesse, why is there a copy of Bravery in your lunch kit? And she said, oh, well, there's my friend at school who can't read. So at lunchtime, I'm reading it to him. And I just thought, oh, my goodness, melt my heart. How wonderful is that? And I noticed in the book, all the worn pages were the pages about her. <laughs> So she was rereading the pages that she was in it. I thought that was so cute. That is amazing. Yeah, but so, so that was it was so funny. It was so great, and and you know Avery was really proud uh, uh, to have a, a book written about him, and, and and I hopefully it helped his self esteem because he struggled with um, having this cerebral palsy, not being able to be an athlete and do the things that he wanted to do. He was restricted. Um, I wanted him to know. Uh, what a hero he really is and, and that was the, the biggest inspiration to write the book and, and I dedicated the book to him because I wanted him to know that how special he really really was because there was many times in his youth where he didn't think he was yeah and I think that just the fact that he kept fighting and kept moving forward just as a baby yeah. and just kept defying the odds as you wrote about yeah. is so motivational when you hear it and when you know that there's this person who endured all of this yeah it, yeah so and then how was your what was your husband's reaction like for bravery you know he's always been supportive of me no matter what i do he's always you know and he thinks it's great he was actually the first one he, he said when when Avery was born we should journal this and i i'm like i don't even i can't even breathe let alone journal like i was just we were so stressed out i thought i, I just couldn't do it so he started he was the one that started journaling our day days, and then then he stopped. And for some reason, I took over. So um, he was really he's my biggest advocate and, and supporter. So um, he, which is great, and that's probably why you know thirty years later we're still together because I think what relationships, especially uh, spousal relationships, are about supporting each other. 
Yeah. And like I supported him when he wanted to be a realtor because I'm like thinking, now in your 40s, you're changing your whole life career and, and oh my, what's going to happen? But you have to have, again, that leap of faith yeah. and be supportive. I absolutely agree. And like Rebecca and I have definitely experienced that because there are points that like, and when I was like, I think I'm going to start a podcast that's like, you're in law school, like you're busy, you're, right. you've got other things going on. And right. I was like, you know what, like the pandemic's just starting up here. Things are calming down. I think that I wouldn't mind. And then it took me three months to pick all of the equipment I was going to use and figure out how all of that was going to work. And there was a financial investment into all of this that she had to trust my follow through. Right. And I actually had a peer of mine who was like, I'm starting a podcast too. And he was like, one of those people who you're kind of like, are you? And so he had all of his equipment and his is yet to start. And it just, that ingrained in me, that belief, like, if I'm going to do this, like, I can't have a podcast that did two episodes and then I quit. Like, yeah. that's not the option. I'm investing yeah. a lot into this and I have a, a vision for this that I need to follow yeah. through on. And so to have someone who can say, you know what, I have faith that you're going to make this happen and you're going to yeah. do well at it was something you need to hear when huge. you're in that circumstance. Yeah, it's huge to have that support. It kind of, it, it gives that green light yeah. that, you know, I've got the support of this and it also helps you to follow through. Yeah. Yeah. Sharing it with somebody else and saying, I'm going to do this. It makes you want to do it well because they're supporting you in it. They're taking the risk on you. Yeah. And, and that you want to do it even better because they're supporting you. So yeah. you want to prove to them that you can. Yeah, exactly. And it can be so gut wrenching when you're getting into it and you're starting to write the first few pages and you're like, oh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And you're taking that risk. Like the first episode I recorded, it was, it looks completely different now than when I started, right. but I knew I needed to start. I knew I needed to record that first episode yes. because so many of the discussions on how to start were like, just do it. Don't get stuck into that. It's not perfect. So I'll wait. Right. And sticking to your, your guidelines, because one thing that like I heard from almost everyone was three hours. That's too long. Like nobody's going to tune in. And I was like, I don't care. I need to get the full story. And I've had people reach out and say, oh, I'm sure I could get you this person on, but they'd only have like half an hour. And I was like, why would they want to come on and only yeah. share 30 minutes of who they are yeah. when they have years of stories uh, right. and experiences to offer the community? Like that's doing, if I were to cut this down to 30 minutes, that would miss out on so many experiences right. and stories you could share. And so that it's not doing me a disservice. It does the guest right. a disservice to try and shorten it. So, yeah, I get that. And that makes perfect sense. And I'm glad that you didn't listen to what people said and did, did go, went with your own thoughts because they don't have to listen to it all in one sitting yeah they can listen to it on their way to work on the way home on their you know like while well, vacuuming yeah. <laughs> and if, if they're interested they'll find a way and they that's, will. that's where i want to make sure the content is there that the the depth and the quality of who you are is in there because that's what makes people go i'm not done that podcast yeah i need to pick that one up and finish it off yeah yes so true i completely agree that's why I said, like, I'm still so surprised at 25 how smart you are. Yeah. So <laughs> moving forward to Smile Again, what has the reception from your family been with this book? It's being so much later. Yeah, they, they're they they're not surprised with me because I kind of just do things on the spur. Like, I'm going to do a TED Talk. Okay, well, I'm going to write a book. I, you know, the, So nothing surprises them, I don't think. But uh, especially because they know that um, it's really important for me and my calling, I guess, to, to be able to 
help people in their time of need. And I kind of took over what my, what my grandma did, you know, when she was younger. And so uh, I think a lot of it is genetic, but um, a lot of it is learned. So I think it's a combination of both. And, but most importantly, just having an open mind. And, and uh, my kids and, and Cam know that about me, that... Uh, um, and support me, you know, and they're, they're happy. Like they, Avery, because he's minoring in English, he helped edit. He picked out, uh, he picked out things that the publisher didn't pick out. And, and, uh, so yeah, and, and Cam read it before it was published, uh, cause he's, he's just naturally a good, uh, spelling and grammatic person. Like he just is really good at that. Um, so he read the book too and he said, yeah, it's a really good book. And I know I can tell when he's fibbing me or not <laughs> by how he says it. So he was authentic with his compliments. <laughs> That's awesome. What was it like for Avery to kind of have this happen as he's going through university and stuff? Has it been completely able to support it? Or was there a bit of nervousness sharing his side of the story? What was he, that like? He's so chill about that kind of stuff. Like he, you know, the fuss about him he's, he doesn't like to be fussed of, of, upon um but he's very um just very he'll he just he's so easygoing he's just yeah this is you know my mom is doing this and it's you know but he doesn't like the focus to, to really be on him yeah. it's like when i um when i put the books in his school library and people were reading it you know he he was like oh they're gonna know it all about me and i said yeah, but there's nothing bad to know and he goes i suppose you're right so he he lets things roll off his back like water off a duck's back yeah yeah that's awesome i was just gonna say because he seems like a great guest to have on as well but if he doesn't want that spotlight i totally understand i just think that his story is is unique as well yeah it, it really is and he's he's cool with that too because i think he said to me when he found out because he knows rebecca they yeah. went to school together since kindergarten yeah and uh um he's always thought rebecca was a great girl and, and really nice because avery you know he had some struggles with with his um um speech being cerebral palsy and so i think you know there was times when kids you know were maybe not very kind to him and uh rebecca was always like really 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 kind which is really nice to have that when you're young because kids can be cruel yeah um but when uh he found out that i was doing the, the podcast he's like oh am i coming too <laughs> So he would be cool with it. That's awesome because I do think that what he went through and that story of recognizing where people have been when you don't realize and that perseverance that he went through and even being willing to participate in those things to me deserve to be recognized because there's lots of people I'm sure on playgrounds today that need that support right. that need to know that there was somebody else in that circumstance yeah. that got through it and I think that that's what that goes to. Mm -hmm. I agree yeah thank you. So can you tell people where they can find the books in Chilliwack? Yeah so so far um, I'm a few few more locations are opening up but right now uh, we're at the Owl and the Cat Brookery all things being eco uh, the book man Save on Foods in um, Chilliwack. Uh, the Sardis location will be getting their copies soon. And um, a couple stores in Harrison will be picking up some copies as well, uh, hopefully this month. And uh, the Harrison Gift Store, I think, is one that's going to be taking it as well. So that will be great. And then it's uh, online, available online on Amazon.com or Amazon.ca. Yeah. Uh, which is it's neat because my girlfriend from uh, Australia is going to get it. 
Wow, that's in so Australia. crazy. Yeah, she's like, I can't wait to get a copy of your book. So uh, it's nice that, that it is available online and people from all over can, can get it. Wouldn't it be cool if it was translated into different languages and stuff too? That would be so valuable for people to access the book and be able to read it in different languages and connect with it. And that's why, again, I think that it would be so valuable to hear it in your voice. It, I love that idea. I'm going to definitely pursue that. Well, you know, it's 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 interesting when you think about everybody in the world right now is going through the same thing or yeah. going through the same struggles. It's not just Canada, North America, UK, it's everybody. So it's everybody from every language, every face of the earth, you know, is, is going through this. It's so universal and it really helps us understand that we really are one. Yeah, absolutely. And we get so disconnected. And I think social media can focus on where we disagree and not on all the things that we agree on as a community. We never focus on those conversations because I don't think if we were able to get this book as a topic on social media, I don't think it would be controversial. Right. And like on those levels of like going viral, it's always things that differentiate us and yeah. separate us. And I think that this would be something that would go in the opposite direction. Right. And so how can people find you? online they have on my website kimgemmel.com and uh i've got my email address on there as well as they can uh, purchase a book through my website and uh contact me because i love hearing people's reactions and their their personal journeys uh because I find that when we tell our story, it opens up people to tell their story and it's therapeutic. And, and so I, I always encourage people um, to share their thoughts with me. And, and, uh, it's, it's great because it makes me think that, oh, I am reaching people. It is doing good. All those thousands of hours were worth it. Do you have any stories from anybody who's approached you and said, this was my experience or this is what I got out of it that's, that's unique or interesting? Yeah. It's, you know, it's, pretty amazing um already that you know he's only been out a few weeks but the, the one person commented on how they're using it as their bible and and it's it's made them deal with something from their past that was terrible and it's made them um do something about it and it's made them go to the authorities and 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 make um do something about a, a right or wrong uh, that somebody did to them. And I just was like, they were crying when they were, were talking to me. And I, I just, you know, it just is so, it makes it all worthwhile. I completely agree. And I do think that there is overlap from your book. And when I was talking about the philosophy side of things is because when you're, the science doesn't tell us how to act, as I mentioned before. And I think that your book says, when something happens to you, you don't know what it's going to be. So stop trying to predict mm -hmm. what the outcome in the end is going to be, right. accept where you are and act accordingly, act positively, right. don't try and harm people and go into this hump with humility. And that's how you approach this unbelievable circumstance of being in the circumstance that almost nobody knows about definitely half the population of men have no idea what you were going through plus all the people who haven't had children don't know what that situation is like and it's overwhelming and it's got to be lonely and scary and the fact that you said 
I'm just going to keep going forward. I'm going to keep doing the best I can. And I don't know where I'm going to land. I don't know where anything's going to land. I'm just going to keep moving forward. That's the message of this book. And that's what you're telling people. And there's lots of people in circumstances where they don't know where they're going to be in a year. They don't know if their housing's stable, their money's stable. And it's just move forward, treat people well, and do the best you can as a person. And that message is archetypal it is biblical that you should do it that way because that's what the bible's guide is is don't be cain be able don't betray people and hope people act in other people's best interest and it will all come full circle eventually just be patient and i think the fact that you have two books now shows that that can come full circle over time that from that position that you were in that day when you've received that news and all of that was going on who could have predicted that years later you would be here an author sharing the story of your two amazing children yeah and that went through so much and be able to go through that we didn't we couldn't have predicted that at the time no no if somebody had said kim you're gonna have two children one's gonna have a heart defect the other one's gonna be autistic and this, you know and then you're gonna write a book about it and do a ted talk i'd be like are you on drugs yeah. <laughs> i would have been no way i would turn around and around and said i'm not signing up for that but now I, where it's taken me, the people I've met, uh, the people I've reached with my experience, I wouldn't change it. And, and, you know, we all, you know, how blessed to feel that way because you can't coulda, shoulda, woulda, because we can't. You know, we just have to accept what has happened, be present, make the best of it, make those best choices, and realize that there are silver linings to every situation we're in even this current pandemic yeah and i think that you did a good job of that near the end you talked about how even if you're 80 or 90 you can still share your story you can still try and write the book yeah it's not someday it's not some specific year that you're supposed to do these things it's with your own relationship with time and the people you're around and surround yourself with people who can support you in achieving those goals that you've set for yourself that you just believe are part of who you need to become because for me this podcast it just it felt correct. And every step of the way, when I saw the person create the logo, I was like, that's it. That's what I'm looking for. And it just all clicks. It it comes together when you, once you open your mind to it, that you're going to do it and you make that decisive decision. It's like the, you know, that old saying, when one door closes, another one opens, like you have to be open to it and accept it and have that leap of faith. Like that's just, and it, does it comes together somehow like and you don't know how but it just does and you have to have have that faith is so important and just just do it because we're here for a short time and make the best of it and it'll come together and you'll just be so surprised how it, it just happens well i think that we are incredibly lucky to have people like you who take the faith who take the leap and move forward because you set the rubric on how other people within Chilliwack, within their own lives, can go and write their own story, who can share that with the community because there is no end to how many good stories that we need to hear. Uh, we don't know how many are out there that we're missing out on yeah. if people were just able to say, you know what, today's the day, I'm going to start page one and right. start moving forward. And I think that you set that example and show that this can be successful and that you can find meaning in the tragedy that you faced at that time. Mm-hmm. So I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down and share your experiences and share these books with people. And I think that people can get a lot of value out of them. And I'm just really grateful to be able to promote something mm-hmm. so positive and something I can get on the page with a hundred percent. Well, thanks so much, Aaron, And thanks for doing what you do for bringing forth the people in our community who are, are wanting to give a, a 
positive impact and um, reaching people and and you yourself taking that leap of faith and spending the money to do this, you know, uh, is is fabulous. And to uh, invite me as a guest on your show is is just an honor to you. You know, you've been able to uh, have some very uh, interesting talent and interesting people on on your podcast so it, it was meant to be so yeah and you just keep doing what you're doing awesome well i thank you again for sitting down and i really hope people go get it it's smile again by kim gemmel and kim gemmel bravery our journey of faith hope and love go pick them up now i highly recommend them i'm halfway through smile <laughs> again and looking forward to reading bravery thanks aaron wonderful to chat with you yes and we just did two hours and 45 minutes Wow. Yeah. Holy cow. Time flies. Time flies. That was great.